I'll turn myself on here. We send a lot of stuff to prisons, to a lot of people. In fact, I've been in several prisons. Uh, I remember when I went down to the prisons in Palestine, uh, Texas, Central Texas, and uh, I followed a Catholic group. And uh, I went in there, and, you know, there was a nice, quiet, uh, you know, reverence. And the Catholic priest left, and nobody was prayed for. You know, nothing seemed to happen. And there was no noise or anything. And I walked in, and I thought, it's time to liven this place up with the Word of God. So I began to teach these men faith, and I spoke, I had an hour, and I watched my watch close, because they said, you can't go over. I said, okay. So I took every minute of that hour, and I spoke faith, and the guy told me, he said, at the end, one hour, you've got to be in and out. I said, okay. At the end of the hour, I said, it's over. I said, I have to leave. But I said, before I leave, if anybody wants to be prayed for, if you'll come as I go out, I'll pray for you. And the guy came in and he said, that's it. you got as much time as you want. You can pray for these guys as long as you want. <laughs> I saw the king heal prisoners that day. I saw men down in their back instantly healed. I saw God do awesome things in that prison that day. And I got praise reports and letters from those guys after that for months, what God had done in that prison. I, all I can say is, what a privilege to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. I was thinking as we were singing the song a few minutes ago, God calls me friend. I couldn't sing those words with you because every time you all said, God calls me friend, I sing, God calls me son. In the Old Testament, he called us servants. In the New Testament, he calls us friends. But in the New Covenant, he calls us sons. And there's a huge difference between being a friend of God, a servant of God, and a son of God. And when you realize that you are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, you can get wild and violent with his word, knowing that daddy is behind you. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. And you can see daddy do great and awesome things in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you again tonight, thanking you and praising you and worshiping you that you're the king of kings and lord of lords, and you're our daddy. That Jesus is our brother. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and our comforter. And that, Lord, you're on our side, and we're on your side. And we're so grateful for the privilege to see you, to know you, to love you, and to have your word. And to, for you to teach us with the Holy Spirit who we are and what we can do as sons and daughters of God. We bless you now, Father, and praise you and thank you. We rebuke the enemy. We command the enemy to leave this place and not to steal a single word out of the mind or the heart of anyone that's here. And, Lord, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit that's here to lock these words into our minds and our hearts that we may be better people, better sons and daughters when we live here tonight so we can be about your business. And we praise you and thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I will have to say that's quite a surprise, that letter uh, with those people that's got a hold of our teaching. But one quick testimony I'll tell you. Uh, Saturday at the healing school, there's a couple, a man and his wife. They've been Christians for a long time, but they've not seen God do very much. And then they got a hold of our teaching and they started believing God and started repenting of all their sins and walking holy before God. And Saturday at the healing school in Dallas, he said there was a man they knew that got kicked on the leg. He was a horseshoer in Texas. And a horse had kicked him below the between the knee and the ankle. And a huge knot had come up on his leg and the blood had stopped circulating and he had been to the doctor's and everything, and the doctor finally told him, said, there's only one thing to do, and that's next Tuesday. We'll have to amputate your leg at the knee. And so he said, we heard about it, and we went over to see him. He said he was already joking about the wooden leg he was going to have to have. It's amazing how we don't understand and don't know and know who we are as Christians and what's available. So this man and his wife said, we, we want to pray with you. We have learned some awesome things about when we pray in faith according to God's word, what he will do. So we want to pray with you. And he said, I'm going to pray with you. And he said, I took the word of God and I prayed a prayer of faith. And then I looked him right in the face and I said, I guarantee Jesus is going to do it for you. He said, you know where I learned that, don't you? I said, well, he said, you're the only human being I ever met in my life that guarantees God will do what he said he will do. I said, well, when we start believing him like that, he'll do the same thing for you he does for me. And he said, so I guaranteed the man that God would do what he promised to do and that his leg would be miraculously healed. And that was on Sunday evening when they prayed the prayer for him. He went to the hospital Tuesday to have the leg checked. And when he went in, he told the doctor, he said, Doctor, I don't know what's happened in the last day and a half, but something dramatic has changed in my leg. And he said, the doctor x-rayed it, checked it, and looked at it, and he said, this is nothing short of a miracle. He said, the leg that I knew I was going to have to amputate is almost completely healed. And he said, in fact, it's such a small bump. He said, all the blood circulating perfect. He said, as far as I'm concerned, The way it's going, you don't even have to come back. He said, you're totally, completely well. Is God awesome? Does he answer prayer? Yes. He answers prayer. So whatever you do, learn to walk in faith and trust God. Know that he he has the answer to every problem in life that you can be confronted with. I mean, and he's on our side. That's a beautiful part about it. You know, we're his sons and daughters. We're really not his friends. You know, there's a big difference between being a friend of somebody and being a son or a daughter. I'll do a whole lot of things for my friends, but there's a limitation on what I'll do for my friends. But for my children, there's no limitations to what I'll do for my children. Anything that's within my capacity. Well... I'm going to talk a little bit uh, tonight about effective prayer and how you make this work. And I'm going to tell you that the very first thing that's involved in effective prayer is obedience. 
Now then, you can go back to a child, a man or a woman, and if you have children, if your children come and ask you for something, if they're obedient, what will you give them? Almost anything you're capable of. But what if you come in and you say, son, the front yard looks a little bad, and I'm going to be out of town this week. And so I would really appreciate it if you would mow the yard and clean it up for me while I'm gone. And so you leave town. And you come home and you walk in and the yard has not been touched. I mean, it's a week more growth on this thing. And you walk in and say, son, why didn't you mow the grass like I asked you to? He said, oh, dad, you old fool, I don't want to help you do nothing. You want it mowed, you go mow it yourself. Ooh. Ooh. Now then, uh, <laughs> some of y'all are laughing like, if I'd done my dad like that, I'd know what would be coming. Well, see, then the next thing you know, you run up and say, Dad, by the way, you promised me $50 if I'd mow the yard. I didn't mow it, but I'd like to have my 50 bucks so I can go do something with my friends. What do you think the chances are of you getting the $50? <laughs> this boy down here on the front says, nothing. <laughs> no chance. Well, this is exactly the way it works with God. Now then, Dad getting ready to go out of town, and he looks out at the grass, and he thinks, you know, it sure would be nice if I had somebody to mow that grass for me. And he don't even, doesn't even have time to ask. And he comes back in Friday afternoon, and he walks in, and the place has been manicured. I mean, the front yard is beautiful. There's not a blade of grass out of place. It's been weed-eated and everything, and the flowers are all in place, and everything's watered. He walks in and says, who did this? And the son said, oh, I did it for you, Dad. I know you love a beautiful yard, so I thought I'd just take care of it for you just because I love you. He said, oh, by the way, Dad, I'm going to go somewhere with some friends tonight. Could I have a few dollars, maybe 10 or $15? Dad said, reached in his pocket and said, here, son, I got a 50. You've done such a good job here. Let me bless you. Now, see, that's the way God is, too. He is daddy. And we're children. And don't ever forget, it makes no matter how old you are, he's still daddy. He's a whole lot older than you are. It makes no difference how old you may be. You may be 80 or 90, but you're still just a mere child in the sight of our Lord. Now, I want you to turn with me in Exodus chapter 23, and I want you to see something that God has told us here. Exodus 23, verse 20. <clears throat> this was a promise of the Lord's presence. And I'm going to read this in verse chapter 23, verse 20. It says, See, I am sending my angel before you. To lead you safely to the land I have promised, prepared for you. Pay attention to him. I'm reading this, of course, out of the Living Bible. Pay attention to him and obey all of his instructions. Obey. Do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your sins. He is my representative. He bears my name. 
But if you are careful to obey him, following all his instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, and so on and so forth, all those different ones, and I will destroy them. Do not worship the gods of these other nations or serve them in any way. And never follow their evil examples. Instead, you must utterly conquer them and break down their shameful idols. You must serve me, the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water and I will keep you healthy. There will be no miscarriages or infertilities among your people. And I will give you long, full lives. Did you hear anything in that you like? But it didn't come without a cost, did it? You notice the very first thing he said... If you obey, then I will do all these wonderful things. You know, when I read these kind of things, it makes me wonder what's wrong because this was under the law. This was under the old covenant. And today, you and I, these were servants he was talking to. Servants. But you and I are not even friends of God. We're children of God. So if God promised this kind of a situation to his servants, and you and I have a better covenant with better promises, then what is wrong? Why is so many people in the church having so many problems? Why are we beat up on so many ways? Why do we have so many miscarriages in the church? Why do we have so much sickness and disease in the church? Why do we have such... Short lives in so many people, even in the church. There must be something wrong. You know, from an engineering standpoint, which is where I was raised up and all of my life and my studies and everything, there was, if I built a building or designed a piece of equipment, if that piece of equipment failed, I can remember a piece of equipment that I designed for a corporation I was working for years ago. And I could foresee an easy way that I could build and design something here for much less money that would work much better and, and last much longer. So I went to my VP and to ask him, could I have a little money for R&D money to build this piece of equipment? And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I don't believe you can build this. I said, well, okay. So I didn't fuss with him. I went on there a little while, and we had so much trouble with the existing equipment we were using. One day, he's out there, he says, is there any way you could make this thing better? I said, I told you I could make it much better, and all I needed was 5,000 measly dollars to build you a piece of equipment I guarantee would outlast this one five times. He said, you really think you can do that? I said, no, sir. I know I can. He said, you sound very sure of yourself. I said, sir. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and he don't ever lead me astray. I said, I do everything I do by the power of God. 
So I said, yes, I can build and design you a piece of equipment. So he said, okay, you got $5,000, do it. So I did. I went to work on it. I got me a fabrication company that could do everything I wanted them to do, and we went to work, and I built and designed this piece of equipment. And we built the first one, and we put it out there, and it worked. And about six months later, the VP was so happy with this thing, he said, good grief, that thing is so good and lasting so good. He said, build me two more of them and send them here and send them there. I said, okay. And then one day, one of the executive, one of the VPs from Washington come through, and he looked at one of those that I'd sent to Denver, and he said, who built this machine? And they said, Thurman did. And so he flew to Dallas and said, where did you buy this piece of equipment? I said, sir, I built it. I designed it myself and built it. He said, I've never seen anything so strong and so good. He said, it works perfect. He said, can you build me some more of those? I said, well, sure. How many do you want? Well, he said, right now I want two here and two there and two there. And I said, okay. So I went to this fabrication company and I said, okay, look like we've hit something here. I said, I want you to start building these things for me. And so we did. And so over the next few years, we built hundreds of those things and saved the company millions of dollars, sent these things out all over the world. And then finally one day I had one of those pieces of equipment I'd sent to New York and a lady got hurt on it. Now she got hurt on this piece of equipment and they called me one day and says, uh, we need all of the drawings, all the details, who's built this, how you did it and everything. I said, well, I built it. And I said, I have all the drawings and everything. And I said, why? And they said, well, we had a lady get hurt on the piece of equipment in New York, and she's suing us for $4 million. I said, what did she do? And so they told me how she got hurt and what had happened. One of the doors that controls this thing, she had braised it up and jammed it in the lower stainless steel belt somehow I don't know how she did this, but she did it. And then she reached up and turned it on. And when it moved, it come unlocked and the door comes swinging down, which was a very light door, but it had a, a kind of a sharp corner on it. And it, she had her finger upside down and it hit right there. She jerked her hand out. She hung her finger under the corner of that. And from about the first joint out, it ripped her finger open, which should have taken about six stitches to repair. And that's all. But she cut it so deep, it cut the nerve in the end of it. And, of course, after it grew back, she wasn't able to feel it. So she went to a doctor. See, now this is a woman who has no knowledge of God's promises. None. And so she goes to a doctor, and the doctor looks, and he says, Well, I believe I can fix your hand and put the feeling back, but I'll have to do surgery on your hand and reconnect those tendons up that go up into those nerve endings. And so she listened to him, not knowing she could have come to God, not knowing that she was under a curse, because she didn't serve God. And that doctor cut her finger down through here, down all the way to, up into her wrist. And when he got through with her, her hand was locked down and his fingers could not move. He really messed her up big time. So she sued us because she got hurt on the piece of equipment. Well, I had to go to New York and take all my stuff and go into a court of law. And I walked in, and I was there with four lawyers, two of theirs and two of ours. I went in there. I, as I went, I said, Lord, you know I didn't design that piece of equipment to hurt these people. I designed this piece of equipment under your jurisdiction and your authority and your power and your knowledge. 
So I said, you know that I didn't design this to hurt this lady. You showed me how to design this piece of equipment. I don't know how she got hurt on it, but you know. And I said, now, Lord, I'm going to ask you to give me the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding to answer all the questions in the right way so that my company will not be sued. And so I went in there, and for two days, they asked me question after question after question. And I had had one deposition taken in my life. I don't know if any of you have ever had a deposition taken. I hope when you haven't. But I had one taken prior to this, and it was my first one. And it was uh, over something I didn't do. It was something someone else that worked for us done. But whenever I was asked to come to this uh, attorney's office and have a deposition taken, I answered the questions the best I could, but I had never listened to myself talk. But I got to listen to it. And when I listened to the deposition, I thought, who is this idiot that's talking? (laughs) I sounded that bad. So God has trained me. And then by the time I got to this court of law, I knew that they were going to take down every sound you utter. If you've ever been there, you know that if you say, well, uh, I'm not, let me think. All that's on there. Everything you utter is on that deposition. They put everything in there. And it makes you sound like a fool. So anyway, when I got to this court of law, this one's on me this time. So I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Give me knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And so I walked into that court of law. And I sat down there, and as they asked me questions, I thought them through in their entirety, and then I answered them calmly, collectively. And after two days, I beat the case hands down. We walked off scot-free, and as we did, we walked out, the little Jewish lawyer on their side. We were walking down the hallway, and he said, Sir, I have a question I want to ask you. This is off the record now. You've beat us. But I want to know, I have never seen a man that could be so cool on the stand that I could not rattle his cage. But he said, I could not rattle you. Nothing I did. How can you be so cool? I said, sir, it's real simple. When you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, all things are possible. I said, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, I know that. But Jesus was a Jew also. And he came to the Jews, and he loves you, and he wants you to know him just like I do. He said, well, I'm really not interested at this point, but he said, I just wondered how you were able to do that. Now then, if you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it makes no difference if you're obedient to serve him and do what he says, It makes no difference where you're at, what you're doing, whether you've built a piece of equipment, whether you're working in a furniture store, whether you're working in a gas station, where you are in your life, if you will put the king first and serve no other gods besides him, when you pray and ask him, he will give you knowledge and wisdom how to do whatever you do beyond your wildest dreams. So you need to know that being a Christian is not a Sunday thing. Being a Christian is a 24-7 thing. You're not a son or a daughter of God just on Sunday. You're a son or a daughter of God all the time. And don't ever forget that. Because if you'll seek the Lord and put no other gods before you, like he said, 
in this scripture we read, he said for you not to put any other gods before you. But many of you probably in this room will go home in the course of a day and you will not pray. You will not talk about God. You will not read his word. You will not wake up in the morning worshiping him and praising him. Of course, I really enjoyed this morning. You know, I lay there this morning. It was raining and everything. But at about a little after 8, I woke up because I didn't go to bed till after 1 last night. Uh, we did. I turned the television on last night because we had one in the room. And it was come on the Discovery Channel. And they was having a special on something that happened in Egypt where they had found some new tombs recently. And in 1977, I had the privilege to walk right where they found those tombs. So, I mean, I've been all over that country, went over there and built buildings, walked up and down the Valley of the Kings and Queens and all that stuff. I've been in all those tombs over there and all those pyramids. It's been quite a blessing to see all that. So it was really interesting to me last night. So we turned that on to watch a little bit of news to see what was going to happen. And then that was on. We watched it till about 1 o'clock this morning. And I thought, well, no problem because I don't have anything to do tomorrow. But this morning about 8 o'clock I woke up. My wife was still sleeping good. So I just lay there until about 10 o'clock and worshiped and praised the king. I just talked to God. I had a whole lot of fun, just me and the king this morning. Then I got up and took a bath and uh, got started. But I love serving God. But if you don't spend any time with God, and you may not have that kind of time uh, all the time, and I don't have that kind of time all the time either, but if you will spend the time you have worshiping Him, praising Him, and when you have free time, don't spend it with another God. Now, one of the worst gods we have today in our homes is television. You know, we, we will watch television. We'll watch the things of the world. You know, and our computers is another thing that really gets us. I mean, it's, it's amazing how you can get on the Internet and surf the Internet for hours. You know, I mean, two or three hours can go by. And you weren't doing anything for God. You knew you wasn't studying the Word but, you know, if you want to really get on your computer, you go to our website, uh, tlsm.org, and go to the links, and you can go over to the Blue Bible, and you can listen to one of about ten translations. You can either read it, or you can listen to it, or you can listen to it and read it at the same time, or you can click on the listen, and you can listen to the Bible and do something else. It's all right there on our website. So all you got to do is just... Click on links and go over to the Blue Bible and bring it up. And where it says, listen, find the book or chapter or the translation you want, which there's at least ten translations. And you can listen to it, you can minimize it, and you can listen to God's Word while you're doing other things on your computer. But spend time with God. He says, put no other gods before me. You notice here, this is a requirement. Have no other gods before me. Well, see, God's never changed his mind on this. This might have been under the law, but under the new covenant, he calls us sons and daughters. So he tells us, even under the law, just think, if under the law, he said, you must utterly conquer their gods and break them down. How many of you have been confronted with a situation lately at work or school or somewhere that they tell you, and I may have some school teachers in here, 
or some people works in places like I did uh, at the Sky Chef operation. I had been to, they had bought out the corporation I'd worked for for years, and they're an airline catering operation, and they had bought out uh, this operation that I had worked for, and they moved me into one of their operations as a regional or a, a local engineer instead of a regional engineer. Of course, the first thing I started doing whenever I was put in charge of 35 men there at DFW Airport was every morning get those men together and pray with them, talk to them about Jesus. And then every time we had a problem somewhere, I'd go down to where they was having their problem, and I'd say, guys, before we work on this, I want to pray over this. And some of them's hair would stand up on their neck when I would pray. They thought, oh, good grief, I've got a Bible-thumping boss. This guy's crazy. I've got to find me another job. But then whenever they begin to find out, that asked me questions. It made no difference if it was a truck or a water softener or a boiler or a refrigeration system or an air conditioning or anything else in that building or in one of those pieces of equipment. They needed an answer. They found out they could ask me. I knew the answers. How do you know so much about so many things? I said, I'm a son of God, and I have the mind of Christ. And he reveals it to me when I study, so I can do all things through Christ. Well, my boss, even there that first year, he said, I want to put you in charge of all of the utilities. I said, okay. He said, see what you can do to save money. So the first year... And the utilities alone in those th- three facilities there, I saved over $100,000 just in the utilities alone. You know, that'll even get a VP's attention whenever you take one little tiny thing. And they want to know how you do this. I said, it's simple. I pray over it. But as I told them, I prayed over it. And although I'm saving them lots of money, They finally come to me after three or four years and said, Thurman, you're going to have to tone down this praying stuff. I said, no. But when you pray in the cafeteria, everybody hears you. I said, good, I plan for them too. They think you're crazy. But then I think about when Edith... A little 64-year-old woman walked in the cafeteria one morning. I'd shared Jesus with Edith. She was just a lovely little lady, 64 years old. This was about 10 years ago, at least 10 years ago. She walked into the cafeteria one morning, although I talked to her about Jesus, and she said she was a Christian. She went to church. She loved the Lord. And she walked in one morning, and she had these big things on her arm. And I saw her walk in the door, about 40 people in the cafeteria that morning. I said, Edith. I said, what is wrong with you? Well, she said, Thurman, said, my arms got to hurting me last week real bad. And so they sent me to the doctor, and the doctor says, I've got carpal tunnel in both arms. Well, at that time, I'd never heard of carpal tunnel. I said, well, what is that? She said, well, it's a problem in your wrist. And said, you get to where you can't close in your hands. You have no grip. I said, so what can they do about it? She said, well, at my age, they said virtually nothing. Said that they just told me I'd have to wear these sleeves and take this medication. Said, I've got to work another year. I can't afford to retire until I'm 65 because I don't have enough money to retire until I'm at least 65. I said, well, Edith, 
how would you like for Jesus to heal you? And it got deathly quiet in the cafeteria. Forty people which were eating and doing everything, and all of a sudden you could heard a pin drop. And she said, I would love it. I said, come over here to my table. She walked over to my table. I was eating a bowl of cereal that morning. I was doing something really spiritual. You know, I lay my spoon down. I reached up and put one hand on her and held the other hand up in there. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, right in the middle of the cafeteria with all them people. I said, your word says I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet? I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, Edith, I guarantee Jesus will heal. It's done. And instantly... She jumped and began to scream, and she said, My pain's gone. I'm not dizzy anymore. And she took the sleeves off her arms and began, she said, I have no pain. I'm telling you, the cafeteria cleaned out. <laughs> they all left. And they went everywhere throughout a building with a thousand people in it, back to their stations, telling everybody what had happened in the cafeteria. Jesus got a lot of, <laughs> of, of whatever you want to call it that morning. That, that morning, about three months later, cut forth, of course, right after that, one of the men that the hair stood up on his neck every time I prayed, he walked in and he said, Thurman, I know you and I know that woman. And I know you're my boss and you're a normal man. But he said, I know that woman for years, a lot longer than I've known you. And I know that woman don't lie. said, I've been up there in the cafeteria the last hour since you left. And said, I'm telling you, that woman is really healed. I said, well, of course, Dan. It's only Jesus. He said, Thurman, I've been in a Lutheran church all of my life. And I ain't never seen nothing like this. I said, well, don't feel bad. I've been in a Baptist church all my life. And I ain't never seen nothing like that in church either. But I said, Jesus shows up when you have faith, whether you're in church, at work, or anywhere else. He said, and he was standing at attention. I'll never forget that morning when he came in. He was standing at attention. I mean, just like this. He wouldn't hardly even look down at me. He said, Thurman, I really thought you were crazy. But he said, this stuff you talk about, it really works. I said, well, of course it does, Dan. It's Jesus. It's what he promised. I said, all you got to do is obey him. I said, you guys are not obeying God, and you're putting many other gods before Him. You're putting work before Him. You're putting everything before Him. And I said, you're breaking virtually every commandment of His Ten Commandments. And I said, the main thing about it is, if you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. That's what the Word says. And, of course... Your pastor, Milton, he gave me an example a man had said before. I'd never heard this, but it's so true. He said that somebody told him about ten links of chain, and you're hanging off of a cliff 5,000 feet up, and if any one of those ten links in that chain breaks, it's history. You're gone. And that's true. And that's what we do with the Ten Commandments. We break them, and we think, now as Christians, we think that because we're under grace, we can go out and do anything we want to do, and it's okay. But let me tell you, that's not true. 
If you've been taught that, you've been taught wrong. See, under the law, God commanded us. He said, if you'll obey me, I will do all these wonderful things for you. We just read. And everybody likes what we just read. He promises we put no other gods before him and we obey him, that there'll be no miscarriages, there'll be no barren, there'll be no health, no health issues, no sickness, no disease, and he will bless us and everything we put our hands to, and He will bless us with a long, healthy life. Now, I like all of that. Don't you? Sure we do. We like that. All of us want that. But He said it comes with a cost. You've got to do what I say. But if we don't do what He says, then we're not going to receive these blessings. So I, I was telling these men, I said, you know, you don't do what God says. I said, you put other gods before you, and one of your gods is work. I said, you guys can get up in the morning and maybe come to work at 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 8 o'clock, whatever time your shift starts. And I said, most of you never think about God. If you went to church on Sunday, and I found out when I got there, virtually none of them went to church on Sunday, and none of them read the Word of God, and none of them prayed over their food, and none of them prayed during the week. It was just, if they did go to church on Sunday, they went to church on Sunday, listened to the sermon, and they went home. And that's, that was church to them. I said, you're breaking every rule in the book when you do that. The main commandment that you're breaking, number one, is God says, you're to love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your being, and you're to put no other gods before me. I'm to be number one in your life. And I said, you got him on the very back burner. And that's why he doesn't do anything for you. I said, so if you want God to do something for you, the first thing you're going to have to do is repent of all your sins and come forward and put him first. Because I said, under the old covenant, he said, thou shalt not murder. Didn't he? He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Didn't he? Well, somebody says, but that was under the law. Well, let me explain to you the complications with grace. When the king came to this earth, he said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he said, I tell you, if you look at another person to lust for them in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Didn't he say that? So you don't have to commit the act now to be guilty of adultery. And he said, I tell you what, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. Just like a woman told me the other day, she said, when I got married, my husband deceived me. She said, I went with him, and I thought he was the greatest thing I had ever seen, and he enticed me to marry him, and she said, I did, because I thought he was a, going to be the most perfect thing for me in my life. I didn't know he was an alcoholic. She said, when I got married, she said, almost immediately my husband began to get drunk, come home drunk, and she said, I did everything I knew to do short of murder to change him. She said, after five years of living in hell, I finally told the Lord one night he'd come home so drunk. She said, Lord, I ought to kill him. But you said, no murder has eternal life. So, Lord, I am not going to hell for him. He's not worth it. So she said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, God. I've tried everything I know to do for five years, and I can't do nothing with him. So I'm going to lay him in your lap, God. If you can do something with him, you do it. 
She said, in two weeks, my husband got saved, and the last 45 years, he's been an awesome man of God. She said, if I had only known, I'd I'd give him to God five years quicker. (laughs) But see, that's the problem. We don't understand God's ways. We don't understand. We try to do it ourselves. And so we go out and we commit adultery by thinking wrong. We commit murder by thinking wrong. And we don't realize that under this new covenant of grace... We have to walk in love. And it's tough to walk there. I'm going to tell you, it's tough. It is not easy. I used to read over there in Galatians where Paul says, don't fall from grace. And when I read that, I said, Lord, what do you mean, don't fall from grace? Paul said, when you sin, you transgress the law and you fall from grace. I thought, Lord, does that mean I'm lost? One day the Lord revealed it to me. No, son, you're not lost. He said, whenever you transgress the law, when you sin, when you step out of the love walk, you fall from grace, which means when you fall from grace, which is up here, you fall back down under the old covenant, which is law. And when you fall under law, then you're guilty of your transgressions, and the devil has legal right to you. I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, Lord, now I know why we have all the problems we have in the church. Because we don't walk in grace. We don't walk in God's love. Every time we sin, we fall from grace and we transgress the law of God and fall back under the law. And under the law, when you sin, it's the same thing is likely to come upon you that was going to come upon these people. Because as long as we are obeying God and walking in love, we're walking in grace. When we walk in grace, to walk there, you've got to walk in love. You've got to obey Him fully. And if you walk in grace, you walk in love, you walk in grace, you walk above sickness and disease. You cannot be made sick up there. It's a wonderful place. Just think, the Lord even promised the people under the law, if you obey me, I will take all sickness and disease away from you. Didn't He say that? So if he promised them under the law that if they would obey everything, he would take all sickness and disease away from them and there would be no sickness and disease, then why in the world, if the church, which has a better covenant with better promises, why do we have so much sickness and disease in the church? Because we're disobedient. We do not do what the king says. And it is so easy to sin. Under grace, he tells us what to do. He tells us to walk in love. How many people you know can walk in love 24-7? I hadn't met them yet. Only one I know can do that is Jesus. I have not mastered that yet. In fact, I'm going to tell you a story right here about something about my wife and I. My wife and I, we've only been married two years and one month. I never expected to ever get married again, and she never expected to get married again either. She had been married before. I had been married before. Of course, my wife got killed in that car wreck. And she was not looking for a husband, and I was not looking for a wife. But my wife had got killed on October the 13th of 2001. Well, in May of 2002, I was making some copies uh, similar to this of this miracle that God had done for my granddaughter by raising her up from the dead. And I was in a Kinko's copy store one day, 
and <clears throat> making these copies, and she walked in. And she walked in to have some copies made herself, and she looked over and she said, Sir, that says Jesus the healer. I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, You've seen Jesus heal people? I said, Oh, yeah, hundreds of them. She said, Could I have one of those? I said, Sure. So I turned to look at her, and when I did, I handed her one, and I looked at her, and I said, Ma'am, you're a very beautiful woman. And she said, Thank you, sir. And she turned, I turned and walked off, and she thought, Gee, what a nice man. He was not hitting on me. Now, see, you women know what that means. You know, us guys, we're kind of dense. You know, when we look at a, when we look at a beautiful woman, what we usually do when we look at her we look at her in, from her eyes down to the bottom and then back up, stopping at several places, and the woman automatically knows where your interests are. And she knows to keep her guard up, to not trust you, but to watch you like a rattlesnake. That's the way women know these things. So anyway, I did not do that. I turned and walked off, and she read the article, and I didn't think I'd ever see her again. I didn't even get her name, really, I don't think. She handed me a little flyer and said, if you'd like to have one of mine, you can have it. And I took one, and I walked off. And next month, she walked into a healing school in June. I did not know that she had an incurable disease that could not be cured by doctors. Lots of people have these. All kinds of diseases out there that you can live with that you can't be cured by doctors. Well, she had one, and she came to a healing school and found out that sin is what opens the door to our diseases. So she came up, repented of her sins. I prayed for her, and God instantly healed her right there. Well, it changed her life, so she started coming to my church. And so she came for about two years. And, of course, I had virtually no contact with her until her dad got extremely sick. She had a dad that was about 85 at the time, somewhere in that neighborhood, 85 or 86. And she called me one day and said, uh, Thurman, I've got to have you to pray for me for my dad. I said, what's wrong with him? She said, he's in the hospital, and five doctors have just told us he won't live. And I said, well, how old is he? She told me. I said, well, he's fairly old. I said, you know, uh, is he a man of faith? She said, oh, no, he doesn't even go to church. I said, well... I said, you know, you could just let him go. And she said, no, I'm not ready to let him go. And I said, well, if he's not a man of faith, you'll have to stand in the gap and fight the fight of faith for him. I said, you can do that, but it will take a 24-7 commitment on your part. She said, I'm willing to pay the price. I said, okay. So I prayed with her, told her some scriptures to use, and she'd already learned many from coming to my church. So she stood in the gap, and about every two weeks, she would call me back. Usually she would call back either crying or very depressed because the doctors would say, this is what's wrong, or he's not going to live, or this has failed, or whatever. And I'd tell her, I told you, you're going to have to stand by faith. You're going to have to take the word. You're going to have to keep going to the throne of grace. You're going to have to stand and not believe nothing the doctors tell you, only what God says. I said, if you're willing to do that, you can win this battle. Well, probably five times over the next uh, uh, month and a half or what it was, she called me every week and a half or two weeks, whatever it was, and I'd pray with her and boost her moral up a little bit there, her faith. And she beat that devil. 
Her daddy came out of that hospital completely, totally healed, and he went back to work. And she really fought that fight. So after she learned that and fought that fight of faith, she came up front in the church and gave her testimony about how she had taken the Word of God and beat the enemy and had saved her daddy and got him healed. Well, then he was doing extremely well, and of course she thought God had saved her daddy for her daughter's wedding. Her daughter was, was, had committed to a young man to marry him, and uh, they were going to get married, but it was going to be, in, I think, in February, a year from then or something like that. <clears throat> and so she thought that's what God saved her daddy for. But on April the 26th uh, that year, the Lord gave her a dream. And in the dream, the Lord told her she was going to marry her pastor, which was me. And, of course, she hadn't been married in 24 years, and she woke up rebuking the devil and said, Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Some of you women understand. You know, and so she just, she really didn't know what to think. And so the very next morning, the 27th of April, I woke up about 6 o'clock in the morning, and when I opened my eyes, I remember very clearly I was laying on my left side, and when I opened my eyes, laying right there this close to me was Cheryl's face. She was smiling, looking me right in the face, and it so startled me, I thought she was in bed with me. (laughs) You know, now, I jumped out of bed, and of course, when I jumped up, it so scared me, I jumped up, and of course, I looked, and there was nobody there, praise the Lord. (laughs) And so... I said, Lord, what are you trying to tell me with this vision? I said, what was Cheryl doing in my bed? He said, son, just as clear, he spoke to me. He said, son, Cheryl's going to be your wife. I thought, be my wife? I thought, wow, I, I, don't, I don't know how to respond to this. God, I, I'm not planning to get married. And Lord, I've never heard her say anything about that she don't even date or anything else. So, I said, Lord, I don't know what I do. So anyway, that night I went to Bible study and taught Bible study. And, of course, I had a big crowd that night at Bible study. And I looked around to see if Cheryl was there that night. Uh, I hadn't looked for her before, but that night I did look for her, and she was not there. And so I thought, well, okay. So I taught the Bible from 7 to 9, and then we had an hour or so time for praying for people. And then about 10:15, I was getting ready to leave, and I turned and looked, and there she stood by the counter up front. And I said, oh, Cheryl, I, d- I didn't see you here tonight. She said, I wasn't here tonight. And I said, well, what are you doing here now? She said, well, I, I just, I've been out ministering to a lady, and I just wanted to come by and talk to you a minute. I said, Cheryl, have you ever thought about working for me in the ministry? She said, I have. I said, do you think you might like to work for me in the ministry? She said, I would. I said, well, I said, uh, they're fixing, we're fixing to close up, and I don't want to be here in the building with you by myself. I said, let's drive down to a restaurant. If you'll follow me in your car, I said, we'll find a restaurant that's open this late, and I'll buy you a cup of hot tea, and we'll talk about this in a restaurant. So we went down to a restaurant, and we stopped, and I walked in. We're sitting in there drinking a cup of hot tea, and uh, I said, Cheryl, I don't know anything about you. Uh, I said, uh, why would you want to leave your profession and come to work for me in the ministry? I said, did you have a word from God? 
And she said, I did. And I said, well, I'd like to know what it is. And she said, oh, no, it's too personal, and I might offend you. I couldn't tell you. And I said, look, if you had a word from God about working for me, i got to know what it is. Okay, she said, I'll tell you. She said, last night I had a dream. And in the dream, Thurman, I wasn't working for you. I was married to you. I said, well, I said, this morning I had a vision of you, and I asked God what he's trying to tell me. And he told me, you were going to be my wife. I said, how would you like to come to work for me as my full-time helpmate and be my bride? She reached across the table and touched my hands, and she said, I would love it. And so we were engaged to marry that night. Never had a date. (laughs) I'm telling you this, especially you young people. You young people, God is in the mating business, but do it his way. You know, don't go out and look for your own mate. Ask the king. Now, neither of us asked the king. I didn't ask him to get married, and Cheryl didn't ask to get married. We had no idea that either one of us would ever be married again. We weren't looking for a spouse, was not even thinking about a spouse, but God had a plan. And after all, last time I checked, we both belong to him, and he knows what he's doing. And so after she said she would marry me, we sat there and talked for till about 3 or 4 in the morning, and then we got up to leave, and as we got up to leave, we started out the door, and she says, did this guy just ask me to marry him? Did I accept a proposal for marriage? She said, I don't, he said, be his helpmate. Did he really ask me to marry him? So we get out to the car, and I open her car door, and I said, Cheryl, now that you've agreed to marry me, that settled everything. I said, would you mind if I give you a kiss before you go home? And she reached up and embraced me, and we kissed right there the first time. And then 40 days later to the day, I performed our marriage ceremony myself in our own church. (laughs) That was her request. That's what she wanted. And so we've had two years and one month now as a team, going places and having lots of fun. So I am telling you that, especially you young people, the reason I stopped there, if you will obey God and put him first and do what he says, and it wouldn't hurt as you're young, Or if you're older and you're not married and you want a mate, go to the throne of grace. Ask the King of Kings in the name of Jesus to send you the right mate. And then be patient and wait on him and don't go looking. Just wait and be patient and he will send you the right one. And the one you will get will be the one that will be perfect for you. You know, so if you'll do that. And that's... The reason I say this, so many young people go out and think they're searching the field. Go with every boy or every girl that comes along. Check out the field. No, that's not God's way. That's not God's way. Wait, be patient, wait on the Lord. Keep yourself clean and pure and holy before God. Don't go out and try sex. Don't do it. Too many young people today die because they go out and try sex. 
There's too many diseases out there that you can catch. You don't want those. You want to be holy before God. So if you'll obey him, not only will he keep you healthy. Now, he promised it in his word. Now, and think, this is under the law. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is under the law. This is not under the new covenant that you and I have. This is under the law. But God promised you there, if you will tear down the altars of the other people, of the other gods, he will bless you. Well, in the workplace where I worked at SkyShift, finally my working with the Lord became so obvious. I did everything in prayer. Everything. I mean, I met with the guys in the morning. I prayed with them. I prayed over the radios until they stopped me. They wouldn't let me pray over the radios or the airways anymore, so I had to stop that. But I continued to worship God and praise Him and serve Him everywhere and everything I did. And our company was very, very successful, and especially my division was very successful and changed a lot of men's lives, got a lot of men saved and a lot of men healed and all kinds of mighty miracles. And then the company came to me and said, you must stop talking in this name I said, no. They said, we will fire you. I said, go ahead. You know, I remember when John from HR come over and told me one time that I had sent attached a little file called It Is Beautiful to a list of trucks that I sent over to one of the men in corporate. I thought he'd like that, but he didn't because it was about Jesus. He didn't like it, and, of course, he turned me in over there, and, of course, a beautiful part about it is everybody in corporate got to see it, and that's what I thought was nice. Everybody got to see it. I sent it over to one man, but everybody got to see it since he complained. And then uh, they told John to come over and threaten me. John come over and threatened me, and head of HR, and said, if you don't quit, we will have to terminate you. I said, well, go ahead. No problem. I said, I'm ready. Go ahead and fire me, John. He said, Thurman, you're impossible. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm admitted it. I did. I sent it. I served God. I worked for Jesus. So I said, if you want to terminate me, you're free. Go ahead and do it. He said, I can't. I said, I thought you'd come over here to threaten me. You was going to terminate me. He said, the CEO told me I could threaten you, but don't you dare fire him. He's the best engineer we got. <laughs> you see what God will do when, you're, when you work for him and you do it his way? The world will threaten you, but the world enjoys what you do. The results you will have. Well, finally, they kept threatening me and telling me. And finally, one day, the uh, HR director and the director of uh, my division called me upstairs and told me, said, Thurman, you offended somebody in the cafeteria. I said, I did. They said, yes. Of course, we had people working there from all over the world, different places. And they said, uh, they said that you said that if you didn't believe in Jesus, and you died, you'd go to hell, and you offended them. I said, well, I didn't say that. They said, but they said you said that. Now then, this lady that was in charge of HR professed to be a Pentecostal Christian, and the director that I worked for was a professing Baptist, and I knew that. And I said, well, that's a shame. I said, I was just repeating what Jesus said. He's the one that said that, so I was just quoting the king. And my director said, Thurman, you're impossible. You can leave. And I said, okay. So I left. So see, you always got to have the words that Jesus gives you. And then as we go on a little further, 
uh, they're getting a little bit stronger against me at your workplace. And, of course, the Lord tells us to break down and conquer their gods by doing mighty signs and miracles and wonders in his name. So, we come up to one day, there was a, I was back in receiving, and I hear a woman screaming. And I go running back down into hot food section where I heard the voice, and I saw a crowd of people. And when I ran over there, there was a little Spanish woman by the name of Edith. Edelina, excuse me, Edelina was her name. And Edelina was standing there screaming, and I looked, and they was trying to put cold water on her arm. She had a pair of insulated gloves that had been on down to here and then a blouse with a short sleeve like this. And she had reaching in this big oven, big, long, 10-foot-long commercial oven that had racks in it, that had racks and sheet pans of food in it that were being cooked at over 300, 350 degrees. And so the inside of that steel door, when she opened it down, that door was extremely hot. She'd reached back in there with her gloves and got a sheet pan and started out, and her foot slipped and her arm fell on that door. It burned all the skin off of her arm. She had huge blisters already coming up, and she was screaming at the top of her lungs. She was in pain. They had the first aid kit out. They were trying to do everything. I ran up and grabbed her on this arm. I said, it is written, and Isaiah 53, 4, Jesus bore your pain, so you won't have to bear it. I said, then in Mark 16, verse 18, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I said, I don't know how long it'll take him to do it like that. I said, in Mark 11:23, he said, whatever I say with my mouth, I believe it with my heart, I can have it. So I said, in the name of Jesus, be supernaturally healed. I said, thank you, Father. I said, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. And I turned and walked off, and immediately her pain left. She wouldn't even go to the doctor. She said, wow, it don't hurt anymore. And they said, well, let's take you to the doctor. She said, no, it just quit hurting. No pain whatsoever. So she went ahead and got her food out took it, put it on the racks, and took it upstairs and served the evening meal to all the employees. And every time one of them come in, they'd see all these big blisters all over her right arm. Adelina, what did you do? Well, she said, I burned myself in an oven. Go to the doctor. She said, it don't hurt. So she wouldn't go. Everybody got to see it. That night she gets home. Her husband saw it and he panicked. He wanted to take her to emergency right then. She would not go. She said, honey, it don't hurt at all. She said, if it bothers me tomorrow, you can take me. But tonight I'm tired. I'm just going to go to bed. She went to bed. Edelina, the Spanish woman, which as far as I know is not even a Christian, when she woke up the next morning and turned over, her arm looks just like mine does. Do we serve an awesome Jesus? He's an awesome God. Only our king can do those kind of things. When you quote his word, Jeremiah 1.12 says the king watches over his word to perform his word. He's ready to perform his word. But if you'll quote his word, don't just run in somewhere and try to do something blind. Know the word. Stand on the word. 
And when you know the Word and stand on it, you'll get to see God do wonderful things. He is an awesome God. When you do things in faith, when you guarantee He'll do what He said He will do, He loves that. He knows you really believe in your heart. And He will move and do great and mighty things. Now then, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we saw what He promised us in Exodus 23. Those were awesome promises under the law. So we're going to stay under the law just a little bit longer. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Actually, I'm going to read verse 13 first. Deuteronomy 11, 13. If you carefully obey, carefully obey all of the commands I'm giving you today... And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and if you worship Him, then He will send the rains in their proper season so you can harvest crops of grain, grapes of wine, and olives for oil. And He will give you lush pasture land for your cattle to graze in, and you yourselves will have plenty to eat. I love that promise, don't you? But that's under the law. Well, go on down to verse 26 and see why we have the problems we have. Verse 26 says, he says, Today I am giving you the choice to choose between a blessing and a curse. Who does he give that choice to? Us. Today I am giving you the choice... Between a blessing and a curse, you will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And you will receive a curse if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way by worshiping other gods. Now, isn't that amazing? If we obey... How are we going to obey if we don't study His Word? If we don't know what He likes? You know, I hear people all the time, just like the other day we were in Ireland, we were asked to come to Ireland to speak to some Catholics. So we went all the way to Ireland, and we spent a week over there. And one of the men that we talked to, the last one I talked to the morning before we left, he happened to come in. He wasn't at any of the meetings. He came in and I asked him, I said, sir, do you know God? He said, oh, yeah, I know God. I said, do you go to church? He said, every Sunday. I said, do you read the Word of God? Nope, never read it. I said, sir, you don't know God. He said, of course I do. I said, no, you don't know Him. You cannot know Him outside of His Word. Do you know that this is God? He and the Word are one. If you don't know His Word, you don't know Him. You know about Him, but you don't know Him. I'll come back and tell you a a little story that parallels that. Cheryl came to my church for a few years, and she used to sit out there, and she said once in a while I'd look up and say, I wonder what it would be like to be married to a perfect man. She said, look at that pastor. He's perfect. See, 
she thought she knew me a little bit. And then when God brought her into my life and we became one, she found out I wasn't perfect. (laughs) Far from it. See, you can think you know someone, but until you become one with them, you don't know them. Every one of you in this room, probably that are married, was probably disillusioned the first week or month or first year after you got married. Because your husband was always on his best foot, and he always smelt good and the best and everything before... He never probably would come pick you up and take you out somewhere in these old stinky work clothes. Some of you might have, but as a rule, most men would go home and wash up and clean up and get some good smell of them. If you're thinking about marrying this girl, you want to be on your best foot. Would you get married to her? And you're married a few weeks. Now you're out working and sweaty and hot and hot and all that stuff. And she comes and says, in fact, I remember one day Cheryl came out. To see me, and I was out working on a tractor, and it had been outside, and I was soaking where it was swept from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And she walked up like she reached up to grab me, and she was going to kiss me. She said, Woo, you smell bad. (laughs) And she wouldn't even come close to me. And see, if I had been going with her, and I, first of all, I wouldn't wanted her out there, would be working on the truck, see. Because I wouldn't want her to see me dirty and smelly and all that kind of stuff. But after I get married to her, you can't help that. You know, she's going to come out there, right? Yeah, and when she does, she sees you. But you find out that, hey, well, sometimes we smell bad, just like everybody else. You know, I got tickled at her a while ago. She came up and smelled me. She said, before we go to church, I want to smell you and see if you smell good. <laughs> <laughs> I wore these clothes all day today, and she didn't want me to smell bad. <laughs> she, she smelled me before I go to the church. She wanted me to smell good. But praise God, it's wonderful whenever you do get married. You know, then you become intimate with your mate, and you know them. Well, if you don't come intimate, become intimate with God in this book, you can never know who he is. You'll never know what he likes, what he doesn't like. Now then... If you read the Word and you know God does not like sin, then if you really love Him, He says you will obey me and you'll do everything in your power not to sin. Because you know it breaks my heart every time you sin. If you love a person, a man or a woman, your spouse, you will try everything in your power to please them, you know, at everything you do, if you really love them. Well, that's the way it is with God. Now then, God says if we love him, if we put him first, and if we worship him, he loves to be worshipped. And, of course, I think about the story of the little Phoenician woman that's written in the scriptures. You know, I, I, I didn't understand that for a long time. But Jesus is walking with his disciples, and this little woman comes up, and she grabs him and says, Lord, my daughter lies at home vexed with a demon. Will you please heal her? He don't even look down at her. He just keeps walking. I thought, Lord, you're not very compassionate. What's wrong with you? I mean, I'm reading a story there in the Word of God. And she keeps on begging. Peter finally says, Lord, you want me to tell her to go away? She's bothering you. He don't say nothing. Then it says the woman came and fell at his feet and worshipped him. She changed something. 
she worshipped him. And it says he stopped. Do you think he likes to be worshipped? Yes. So she worshipped him. And he stopped and he says, What is it you want, woman? She says, My daughter lies at home vexed with a demon. Will you come and heal her? He said, I didn't come to the dogs, but I came only to the children of Israel. She said, I know I'm a dog, Lord. But the puppy dogs get the crumbs that falls from the master's table. Now, the average woman, you call her a dog, and she'll jump up and spit in your face. But that woman knew who she was. And she said, I know I'm a dog, Lord. But even the puppy dogs, that's what the scripture really says, gets the crumbs that calls, falls from the master's table. And he said, woman, because of this thing, your daughter is healed. You can go. Now, what if she hadn't have done it right? What if she hadn't have worshipped him? That's why when I learned this principle, if you want God to do wonderful things for you, you're going to have to spend some time worshipping him. You can't be ashamed of the king. I mean, when you walk into a restaurant, I know many people today that are Christians that not only do they not pray over their food in a restaurant, but they don't even pray over their food at home. They don't thank God for what they have. They will drink a glass of water and never praise him for it or never thank him for it. I try to never let that happen. I don't care what I have. Even if I get a refill on my iced tea or my water at a restaurant, I try to never take a drink out of that glass till I have thanked him and praised him and worshipped him for that glass of water. Do you think our king likes for you and me to worship him? I know he does. He loves it. He said so in the scripture right there we just read. If you will worship me. He loves to be worshipped. But he says, if you don't do what I say, I will put a curse upon you. If you will reject, he says, if you will, you will receive a curse if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn from his way by worshiping other gods. So, if you want God to do something great for you, you need to learn to worship the king. Now then... I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight after we've looked at these basic things that we need to learn to do is put God first, love him and worship him. And and you need to start doing that. I think that the number one sin in the church today is the breaking of the first commandment. I really believe we do that as a church more than any other thing. I think we break that commandment by not putting him first, not loving and worshiping the Lord our God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I know about you. I think you're here because you want to learn how to get God to do great and mighty things for you. I mean, I love seeing God answer my prayer like that, don't you? I love seeing the king do great and wonderful things. Well, if you want him want to see him do these things, you're going to have to learn. You got to do it his way. It don't make it what I say, if I do not say what he said, then it's not any good. 
But if I say what he says and I do what he says, then he will answer my prayer. And one thing he wants is for us to put him first and to love him and praise him and worship him. And to put no other gods before him. To not be ashamed of him. I don't care who you are. Praise and worship the king. You know, if you're the spouse in the home and your, your husband doesn't love God, then you love him. You love and worship God. And in the process, love and worship your husband. I can remember a woman I came to a meeting a while back. And women don't understand this principle. They don't understand men. And men don't understand women. That's why God says, he threw the apostle Paul. He said, men, live with your wives according to knowledge. Well, women love for their husbands to tell them they love them. Men's not too crazy about that. But, you know, women are. Women need to be told every day they're loved. Men don't have to be told very often. Maybe not at all. They just know. But men want their wives to tell them how good they are. Wow, you can do all kinds of things. I'm so glad I married you. You're such a man. I love you. That's what men love to hear. Man does something, builds something for his wife, puts them out in front. She comes out and says, you're so handy around the house. You're so wonderful. I'm so glad I'm married to such a wonderful man like you. That's what he wants to hear. You know, He don't care if she comes out and says ten times a day, I love you. She can tell him ten times a day she loves him, but if she don't ever tell him how good he is or how much she appreciates what he does, he really don't get nothing out of it. But for her, all you got to do is tell her you love her. And she'll just eat that up. She loves it. Loves to be told she's loved. She's beautiful. Oh, you're the best thing. I'm so glad I married you. You're my sweetheart. They love to hear that. That's just the way it is. But if we don't do that, if we don't do that with God, we don't worship him, we don't praise him, we don't love him, we won't see him do any miracles for us. So, You need to learn to do these things. You need to learn to put God first. You need to learn to worship Him and praise Him. And if you will do that, it will bring great blessings into your life. I'm going to go into a little bit right now about how to fight the fight that we have to fight to overcome the enemy. As Christians, we live in a new world. In the last 2,000 years, we have been moved into a new realm. We've been moved into a place of faith. God's always been a faith God, but now then he's given his children the privilege to be made like him in his image. And to do the same things that he did. And everything that was available to our king is available to you. And Paul tells us what this fight is. In 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And this is the fight that you and I are going to have to fight. Now, we as Christians can greatly benefit by understanding who we are in Christ. I've got several teachings on that out there, who you are in Christ and other things. 
Many of us suffer many things all because we do not know who we are or we do not know the promises of God. I can remember when my mother had to have an operation, surgery, and they were putting an IV in her arm and they had put it in there so many times uh, her veins had collapsed and they couldn't find it. And she was sitting there in pain. Every time they'd stick her with that needle, she said, Thurman, please do something. Help me. They're hurting me. My heart was bursting for my mother. There I am, a Christian man, and didn't have a clue what I could do. Not a clue. Because I didn't know the promises of God. So see, when the devil can keep you in the arena of senses, then he can defeat you and deceive you every time. But when you step into the world of faith, and I think about the difference when I didn't know these promises, and then a few years later when I stepped over into these promises and began to learn them, I think about one day after I've learned these, many years later, I went down to Gatesville the other day to a hospital. An elderly friend of mine had had... uh, uh, now I'm forgetting now what it was he had. Uh, had and he had some kind of sickness. Uh, anyway, they had t- he had called me and told me he'd love for me to come see him. And I said, okay, I'll come. And so I, I went, and of course a couple of days before I could get down there. And when I got there, they had just taken him out of ICU. And he had pneumonia. That's what he had. That's right, pneumonia. And they put him in a room. And I got there, he was sitting up on the end of the bed, and the nurse had walked in and was checking his blood pressure. And she walked in, and she was checking his blood pressure, and she said, Charlie, your blood pressure We need to really be careful. I said, ma'am, what is it? She said, it's 138, where it should be 70. I said, okay, it should be 70? She said, yes. And I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, oh, yeah, I go to church. I said, have you ever seen God do a miracle? She looked at me and laughed and said, no. I said, well, how would you like to see one? (laughs) She said, what are you talking about? I said, Father, in Jesus' name, you said in Mark 11, 23, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command Charlie's blood pressure to become perfect in Jesus' name. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, check it again. She said, I just checked it. It's extremely high. I said, I know, but I thought you said you'd like to see. She said, I would, but I've never seen one. I said, check his blood pressure and you will. She said, you're kidding me. And she rolled up herself. Charlie said, ma'am, please, for me, would you check it one more time? She said, Charlie, this is nonsense. He said, please. Okay. So she put the thing back on him, pumped it up, and it came down, and it stopped on 72. And when she saw that thing stop on 72, immediately tears burst out of her eyes. I said, you can't never say you haven't seen God do a miracle now, can you, ma'am? She said, I never saw anything like this in my life. I said, ma'am, it's only God. Isn't it amazing that God made us a promise in Mark eleven twenty three? Whatever we say with our mouth, if we believe it, 
Why don't we believe him? Like Milton says, I just have childlike faith. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. Isn't that the way it should be, Kathy? If Jesus said you're healed, you're healed, right? Praise God. That's why we need to, under the new covenant, think what we can do under this new covenant if we learn to fight this fight of faith. Hey, let me tell you, there's enemies to your faith. There's really some serious enemies. Now then, what most of us are praying for has already been given to you. I didn't know this either. I used to pray for different things in the Word of God, and I'd pray for spiritual gifts, and I'd pray for power and authority and the ability to do things. I didn't know they were already mine. I didn't know that until I studied God's Word. And Now, if Satan can hold you in the arena of reason, he will beat you every time. If you go by your sense, your five physical senses, the arena of reason, he will beat you every time. But if you step into the realm of faith, you will beat him every time. And stepping into the arena of faith is believing what's written in God's Word and not looking at what your condition is. Yeah, the enemy can come to you and attack you. And he can do great and awesome things to you. But you must believe what is written. And if you believe what's written, then God will do exactly what he said he would do for you. But when the devil hits you in your flesh to fall to the pain. I used to have, in fact, this just kind of blows me away how quick the time goes by. You know, it's just amazing how quick an hour and a half, two hours goes away. But I can remember, used to, the enemy used to get me in the area of backs. I mean, every year, two or three or whatever, I would come down in my back. And I'd have to go to a chiropractor or I'd lay on my back for a week or whatever. And I finally asked a doctor one day, I said, Doc, what is it? Why do I have so much back trouble? He said, well, you're just tall and slim. And said, tall and slim people have back trouble. One day I was in there and there was a short, fat guy in there. (laughs) And he had back trouble too. And then I realized, hey, if a tall, skinny guy has back trouble and a short, fat guy has back trouble. Well, that's when I realized it was the devil. See, the devil is the one that puts the back trouble on us. So it makes no difference whether you're short, tall, thin, fat, in between. The devil don't care. He will put sickness and disease upon you because you're a human being. And then I learned what I could do when I fight the fight of faith. So I learned to come against the enemy with the Word of God. Well, I had done real good for several years, no back troubles at all. One Saturday morning, I'm out there in my shop working on one of my trucks, getting it ready for an inspection sticker, and I'm always moving at a great rate of speed. And I come around the corner of the front of the hood of the truck, and right in the middle of my back, I heard this, and it felt like I had been hit with a two-by-four right across the middle of my back. And if you've ever been hit with a belt or a two-by-four across the middle of your back, you know what that is. I could not stand. 
I fell over on the hood of my truck. Now, all times before when that happened, and it had happened many times in my life, maybe not quite that severe, I believe this was the most severe one I'd ever had. But all time before, I'd have to have somebody pick me up, call me off, or take me to the doctor or something. But this time, I've learned the promises of God. And so I'm laying there on the hood of that truck, and I just looked up to heaven, and I laughed. I said, Lord, thank you that I know your promises now. I said, I've just had an attack from the devil. Anybody ever read James 4, 7? Jesus said, submit yourself to me. Resist the devil, and he will do what? Well, why don't we do that more often when he attacks? I don't think we... And what he did, I didn't. I certainly didn't know who the devil was. I didn't know this invisible being, this scorpion, could come right inside my back and put a pain on me and was going to show me that he can put me down. But that's what happened that day. I mean, I, I am doing nothing except walking and make a turn. And all of a sudden, excruciating pain with a loud slap as that demon hit me in the back. I fell over on the hood of that truck. But this time, even in my excruciating pain, I look up laughing at the devil. I said, Lord, thank you. You told me to resist the devil and he'll flee from me. I said, the way you resisted the devil in the Word of God, you quoted the Word to him and he left. Is that not the way Jesus did it? He said, Satan, it is written. And he'd quote him the word. I said, Satan, it is written. Jesus bore my pain. If Jesus bore my pain, then he didn't plan for me to bear it. So I said, Lord, thank you for bearing my pain so I don't have to bear it. I said, Lord, in Matthew 8, 17... You clearly said in Matthew 8, 17, Himself, Jesus, bore my sickness and removed my disease. I said, if you bore my sickness and removed my disease, you didn't plan for me to have back trouble. I said, so this is an attack from the devil I've had. I said, Lord, thank you. In 1 Peter 2, 24, you said, by your stripes I was healed. If I was, I am. I said, if you bore it, if you've done all this for me, I said, then it's done. I said, if you came to this earth 2,000 years ago and destroyed the works of the devil, and you said in First Peter, I mean in the First John 3, 8, sir, to destroy the works of the devil in First John 3, 8. I said, then you said in Hebrews 2, 14, by becoming flesh and blood, partaker of this, by becoming flesh and blood, you destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So I said, you destroyed the devil. I said, then you said in Colossians 2.15 that you triumphed over the devil completely and disarmed him and stripped him of all his power and armor. And he has nothing left except deception and bluff. And he's just deceived me and he's trying to make me think that he's going to put pain on me and put a back trouble on me again. And I said, I'm not going to let him do it. I said, then Lord, you made me that final promise. In Luke 10, 19, and 20. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on the devil and his demons. All to me over the devil. He shall in no wise hurt me. 
Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that that beast has to be subject to me, but rather rejoice because my name's written in heaven. I said, thank you, Father, for all those. I said, now, devil, I'm fixing to stand up, and I'm going to walk away from here, and I'm going to do it with no pain. And I pushed myself off of that truck. And when I did, that devil said, I'm going to show you this faith stuff don't work. And he twisted my back, and the pain was so excruciating, I was standing there wavering. I mean, it was like a red-hot coal of fire was in my back. He said, this faith stuff don't work. I said, oh, yes, it does. I said, now then, I'm going to go do everything I wanted to do today, and I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. And I took that first step, and when I did, I heard so bad beads of sweat pop. The devil saying, you fool, this don't work. I said, it's got to work because Jesus said it's got to work. I said, now I'm going to do everything I wanted to do today with no pain because it's written and I took step number two, and half of the pain was gone. And I said, you might as well go ahead and leave, devil, because I am not stopping. And I took step number three, and I walked out of that pain, and I have never been down in my back since. Now, that's what faith is. I see this is what I'm telling you. When Paul said, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Believe the word, not your senses, because if you believe your senses and you stay in the realms of reason, the devil will beat you every time. But if you'll stay in my realm of faith and you'll believe my promise, I will do, I will deliver you and I will heal you every time. I told a young man, a few years ago that walked, I met him at a Plano conference where I spoke. I didn't realize he was a computer science engineer and he had, he was about 40 years old and he had an incurable disease. Do we have his CDs back there, honey? DVDs. Sickness is satanic oppression is the name of the title of the teaching that I done and probably the first hour of that teaching on there is about Dave Rosenfeld's magnificent testimony of his complete healing from his problem. We have pictures and everything. So the one that's called Sickness is Satanic Oppression, a DVD. It's over on this side. If you want testimony of a man that really fought the fight of faith, this man, when he came to me, had an incurable disease. His mother had had it, his grandmother had had it, and many others in his family line had had it. They said it was in their DNA, and they would never, there was no healing for what they had. He didn't believe them, so he went to the finest doctors in the Dallas area, and they all, several of them, he spent thousands of dollars, and they all told him the same thing. What you have is not curable. It's in your DNA. If you have any children, if you're married, you have any children, your children will have this same thing. I told him that's a lie. I said, it's a demon from hell. It's a curse. Jesus has already redeemed you from the curse. And if you're willing to fight the fight of faith, I guarantee you Jesus will heal you. And he looked at me and said, Thurman, you cannot guarantee what God will do. I said, then if I can't, God will do it. He said, well, now God don't lie. I said, well, okay, then I can guarantee what God said. 
So, he started coming to my church and started listening to what I was teaching. And finally, he got enough of the word in him and he said, you know what you're teaching is what God says. So he said, I'm going to fight this fight. I'm going to win this battle. Now, see, he's saying the right thing. I'm not going to try this. He said, I'm going to do it. Now, see, trying it don't never work. You've got to do it. The devil loves for you to say, I'm going to try this. He knows he's got you right where he wants you. He knows you're not in the world of faith. You're in the world of reason. If God said you're already healed, you're already healed. And you ain't going to take no for an answer. And so if you do, you'll lose. You get back into the realm of reason. You don't stay in the fight of faith. You will lose every time to the devil. But Dave Rosenfeld started, and he had been able to about halfway control with medication and special diets and everything else. But when he went to the Lord, the Lord told him, I mean, he just right, just automatically, whenever I prayed for him, the Lord told him, I have healed you and you don't need any medicine no more. So he got off all of his medicine. Well, at the end of the first month, he was so much worse, he was beginning to wonder, did I do the right thing? But at the second month, he was worse. And at the sixth month, he looked awful. And at a year, we have pictures of all of this, what he looked like. He could hardly wear clothes at all at a year. I mean, he had big sores all over his body. He must have looked like Job. His feet were so swelled and so rotten, he smelled like death. And he come to me at a year walking like this with a great big pair of loose with a big hanging shirt on him. He said, Thurman, it doesn't appear to be working. I said, God's word never fails. It always works. As long as you stay and fight the fight of faith, I will guarantee you Jesus is healing you, and it's a done deal. All you got to do is fight it out. I said, get in the Word of God. Start calling these promises that He's made. I said, read them and personalize them. Put your name in there and say, God said this to Dave Rosenfeld. I said, then read it to the devil and say, devil, God made me, Dave Rosenfeld, this promise, and I'm commanding you to get out of my life in Jesus' name. And I said, the bolder you get, the quicker he will leave. It took a total of over a year and a half. And today, Dave Rosenfeld is completely healed. And Dave Rosenfeld went back then after he got completely healed. And him and his lovely wife, they decided to have some children. And they had a baby boy born at home without doctors, their first baby. And he's perfect. He's a year old now, and she's pregnant again and going to have a second one. They've realized now that this was not in their DNA. It was a demon that the curse had been broken. And if they received it by faith, they could walk in a realm of abundant life. Now, that's what's available to us. But this is part of what I'm teaching you about how to walk the fight of faith. The Lord told us in 1 Timothy 6, 12. Now, God has provided a full arsenal for his people to be able to win against the devil every time. He's provided it. We pray for things, and we don't even know they're already ours. I did. Now, we fight all kinds of fights, except the fight of other. We fight against people in the church, against our leaders in town, government agencies, everything else. 
but we very rarely fight the fight of faith. Now, if we are supposed to fight this good fight of faith, then there must be enemies that will hinder this fight. The one enemy we have that's the greatest one is you cannot go beyond your knowledge of the Word of God. Let me tell you, give you an example of what I'm talking about here. I remember the day I walked into the airlines and I went to work for Braniff Airlines at, at uh, Luffield back in 1967. When I walked in there, the guy told me he wanted me to teach the engineering course, which was about six weeks long, and he wanted me to teach every system on a Lockheed Electra for Well, let me tell you, that's a mouthful. And it definitely took me a while to learn that. But it didn't take too long because I had to get in it real quick. So I, ha- I spent hours and hours and hours. I would go sit in a class eight hours and come home and study eight hours. I would eat and go to bed. I'd get up the next morning, be in class early, go through eight hours of class. I went through a, th- a six-week class with them. And then I spent as many hours out of class studying as I did in class. And then I taught the uh, lessons the first time through myself. And I would spend as many hours at night studying for tomorrow as I spent in class today. That's how much studying I did. I could not go beyond knowledge. I could not walk up there and tell a man on a Lockheed Electra, a four-engine how the air conditioning system worked if I didn't know how it worked. I have to teach you that. So that is the greatest hindrance to our fight of faith is our lack of knowledge of the Word. I remember one day a little lady when I was first learning computers when they first came out. I'd never had a computer. They're brand new. I got a software package and I called a little girl one day on the phone. Of course, she grew up with computers, you know. Uh, She was a young woman. And I asked her a question. She said, sir, that's a very simple question. You must not have much experience with computers. I said, no, ma'am, I don't have at this point. But I said, give me a little time, and I will have. I said, by the way, do you know how to set the superheat on a five-ton refrigeration system? She said, what? What are you talking about? I said, oh, you must not have much experience with refrigeration. (laughs) So see, everybody you meet. Remember that when you walk up to a little child like this one here, these young boys, they will know something you don't know, you know. So they're your masters at something. I don't care who it is. You walk up to any man or woman in this this building today, have respect for them because all of you have knowledge about different things. But the one thing we all have got to have knowledge about is the Word of God. If we don't have the knowledge about the Word of God, we cannot fight the fight of faith. You cannot go beyond knowledge in anything. And that's including the Word of God. So if you want to be able to fight this fight of faith and do great things and see God do great things, then you've got to spend time with Him in the Word and learn who He is and what He likes and what He doesn't like. Worship Him and praise Him or you cannot fight this fight of faith. The enemy will beat you every time. Sometimes... One of us gets sick or one of us are attacked. And very rarely do we ever consider the fact that when we're attacked by the enemy, my first statement is, 
Lord, have I been worshiping you enough? Am I praising you? Am I walking holy and obedient to your word? Have I put any other gods before you? Have I done something wrong? And usually we have. And of course, one of the things that so many of us miss the mark on that we don't think God will do anything to us for is the area of tithing. You know, I don't know what the giving's like in this church, but I do know that if y'all are a normal church, less than half of the people in the church tithe. But God said in His Word, if you don't tithe and bring those gifts into the storehouse, I will curse you with a curse. Isn't that amazing that God says he we don't tithe? I can go back. I can remember years ago when I was a young man, that's the one thing I was not taught in church was to tithe. I'd never heard that or at least didn't remember it. And I was young men uh, going to, in the military. I already married and everything. And I was not blessed. I was working. My wife was working. We could barely make it from payday to payday. And I went to church that Sunday, and of course, I had made $40 that week. That was a long time ago. And when the offering plate was passed, I put my dollar bill in there. And a little later in the service, the pastor was up there teaching on tithing. He said, you know, there is people that will come and receive the grace of God and the abundance of all the things he gives you. And when the offering plate passed, you'll put a lousy, stinking dollar bill in the offering plate. And I looked up, and that finger was pointing right straight at me. I slid. I thought that preacher saw me put that dollar bill in there. We didn't make it whether he did or not. Who did see me? God did. And he knew the intent of my heart. And he knew I was guilty. But he knew I didn't know. So I went home that day after that message. And I researched everything that preacher said that day. And I found out that guy was right. I said, Lord, you command me to tithe. I said, Lord, I can't make it now. And if I start putting $4 a week in that offering plate instead of one, I know I can't make it. Wrong confession. But I said, Lord, you said do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to fight this fight of faith. At that time, I didn't even know what fighting a fight of faith was. Never heard of it. But I started tithing that next Sunday. I put $4 in there. I said, Lord, you're going to have to make things happen. Because I couldn't make it on one a week. And now then, with me putting four in there, I show up. It ain't going to happen. But let me tell you, from that day to this, which has been a lot of years, I have never been short of money. I have never been out of money. I have given God more and more every year as time goes by, and never have I been short of cash. The Lord promised me in His Word. That's just like He says in Luke 6:38. He said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure you used to give, it shall be returned unto you. And guess what? By those principles, that's the principle I started this ministry on. Do you know that when I first started in making tapes and I gave them away, and then when I started my church, one of the men in my church told me, said, Thurman, you can't give away your tapes and they won't give them, you know, it'll cost you. I said, no, I don't believe that. I said, God says give, and it shall be given unto me. I said, so 
I'll just put a donation box back there and say, if you want to give, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. No problem. I said, anything people want, we'll send it out to them free and postpaid anywhere in the world. And we won't even put a letter in there and ask them for a donation. We'll just send it to them free and postpaid and let God take care of it. Do you know, in our ministry, we have never been short of money. Not one time. Just like Milton said, he's right. That cost us almost $500 just to ship those boxes up here. That doesn't count the thousands of dollars that it costs to duplicate all that stuff and put it in there. Because we sent thousands of stuff up here. But you know what we're doing now? We're giving away about 10,000 CDs and DVDs and cassettes and videos a week. You know what 10,000 CDs and DVDs and stuff cost? They don't give them to me. But then I duplicate them and give them away. And lo and behold, God supernaturally blesses us somehow, some way, that we never have to worry about money. And we never ask for it. Never. We never ask anybody for anything. And just like I've told you out here, we sent these up here. We want you to use them. We want you to take them and give them to your friends. We want you to send them to your aunts and uncles or your cousins or whatever. And we want the people that hears them to send letters back just like this gentleman did. We want people to be blessed. You know, and if you don't send them out, they can't be blessed. God has blessed our ministry, and that's why we give this stuff away. I mean, that's what Milton said there. Don't take an armload of them home and set them on the table. You know, if you're not going to listen to them, don't take them. But if you're going to listen to them, take them. You know, and if you've got aunts and uncles, you think, or cousins or loved ones or friends or relatives that might like them, take an armful of them with you. That's what we sent them up here for. We want you to bless people with them because God says, give and it shall be given unto you. So if you'll take those and give them to somebody else, he'll bless you for it. He really will. So. If we fight this fight of faith, and this is a fight that we've got to fight, if we will do this, we, if we'll gain knowledge that we need from the Word of God, if we'll study and get this in there, we can beat the devil every time. Now, I've learned how to do that. Praise God. I have absolutely learned how to walk by faith and to think that if I can receive Jesus as my healer and then take the word, and at my age, which I'm just a young critter, you know, I'm only 67, going to be 68 my next birthday, but my wife tells me I'm the youngest 17-year-old she ever saw. <laughs> she said, you are a ball of fire. You know, said, you never wear out. She said, I've never seen a human being that can go do what you can do in five or six hours of sleep. She said, I don't know how you do it. Well... I am a young fellow. You know why I'm a young fellow? Because I've learned the promises of God. Now then, I want you to go to one more scripture, and I realize time has already run out. It's 9 o'clock, but it's so rapid. I want you to turn to Psalms 103, and I want you to see in Psalms 103 what God has provided under the law. But in Psalms 103, most of us do not believe these great and awesome promises. 
Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. And then the second thing we're supposed to do is, number two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All of his benefits. Do you know God has a benefit package? Do you know that you go to, I can only see it now. You know, you walk into a place of business and you say, great. What do you, I have everything you need. Now then, what kind of a benefit package do you have? Well, we give you two days a year sick leave after one year. We give you two weeks paid vacation After one year, we pay your health package completely for you and your family. And we give you a certain percentage of the profits in a 401k every year. You say, gee, is that all? Is that all? Well, let me show you the benefit package of the Lord. You ain't never seen a benefit package like this one. After you bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities or your sins. How many? All you got to do is ask, isn't it? He forgives all of your shortcomings. All you got to do is ask. Woo! And then after you ask for that, he heals how many of your diseases? Oh, wait a minute. This can't be true. If God promised to heal all of your diseases, then why every time one of us gets sick, why do we run to a doctor instead of God? Now, I don't have nothing against doctors. Praise God for good doctors. Because if there hadn't been some good doctors the first 40 years of my life, I'd probably already be dead. Because I didn't know the benefit package of God. But obviously, we're all where I was. If something goes wrong with us, we depend on somebody else instead of trusting the king. But look at the promise. He forgives all of our sins or iniquities and heals how many? Does it really say that? Oh, he heals all. So if you trust him and stand on his word, what does he have to do? What does he have to do? If you repent of all your sins and believe him, no doubt in your heart, he has to heal you. He promised it. He can't lie. Titus 1, 2, God says, I'm not a man that I should lie. Aren't you glad? Because every man can lie, but God can't. And look what he says after he says that he heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Does that sound like a God you'd like to know? One I want to know, it is the one I know. He is a mighty God. Is he the one you know? Yes, praise the Lord. And then look what he says after he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth 
with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Don't you love that? I saw in the front page of a newspaper the other day a wonderful pastor that I know and love with all my heart. Known this guy for years, served under him, a deacon under him and everything else. And he's five or six or seven years younger than me. And he wrote in the front page of the newspaper, I've been pastor of this church now for 32 years. I am old and well stricken in years. So I am retiring from the ministry in January. So old and well stricken in years, I'm going to retire. Let me tell you, what he just said does not agree with the Word of God. First of all, I never found anywhere in the Word of God where any preacher is ever entitled to a retirement. (laughs) I knew you'd love that, Milton. (laughs) We don't get to retire. He renews our youth like the eagles. So, in fact, it seemed to me like I read somewhere in the Word, he says, Occupy till I come. Is that what he said? Milton said, I knew I shouldn't have brought you up here. <laughs> but think about this seriously. The benefit package, he expects you and me to be about his business. Whatever it is. He may give preachers the, uh, the ability or the whatever the pleasure, whatever you want to call it, after they've been full-time pastors for 30 or 40 or 50 years. He might let them retire, but as far as the Word is concerned, I don't find that in the Word. I really don't. Now, I know preachers that have preached, have stood on God's Word, 80, 90, and 100 years old, and they died standing in the pulpit preaching the Word of God. Now, that's the way I think it should be. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be preaching and teaching the Word of God because Jesus said he renews my youth like the eagles. So let me tell you, I'm not going to get old. I'm not going to confess old. I'm going to confess young. Aren't you young men? Amen. You're going to confess young. That's why my wife says, wow. See how you do what you do. She said, you go like a ball of fire night and day. I said, well, you married a young guy. In fact, one of, the, one of the ladies that knew her, when she said, I'm going to marry my pastor, she said, well, how old is he? Well, she said, he's nine years older than me. He's 65 at the time. She said, you're going to marry an old man? She said, all I know is God told me to marry him, so I'm going to marry him. Now then she found out she didn't marry an old man, that's for sure. She has trouble keeping up with me, let me tell you. But just think, the power of your confession. If you confess the Word, forget not all of the Lord's benefits. Is that the best benefit package you ever heard of, young lady? You can't beat that, can you? You don't need a health plan with Jesus, do you? He is the health plan. He says, I'll take all sickness and I'll keep you and your family healthy. Didn't he make you that promise? You bet. The Lord did. Now, if the devil shows up at your house, if you've got a spiritual authority in your home, daddy, daddy's a spiritual authority and he's walking obedience to God's word, 
and the devil comes in and tries to make one of your babies sick, that daddy needs to be in there with his hands on him, with the Word of God in his hands, and said, It is written, devil. I can lay hands on my babies, and you've got to leave in the name of Jesus. Now, it's done. We're not going to go to no doctor. We've gone to the doctor, the king of kings. Now then, if you can get to where you can walk like that, then you can do it. You know, but now if you can't, if you can't walk in faith, if you step over into the world of reason, then you better find you a good Christian doctor. You know, because you're going to need him. And there's a lot of them out there. A lot of good Christian doctors. And I praise God for these men. You know, because just a while back I had an attack from the enemy. In fact, I'll tell you how this happened. I was asked on a Sunday night, there is a doctor by the name of Gary Young that lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. I didn't know him, but at the time I didn't, but now I do. He's in his 50s. Wonderful man. Owns a big business in Salt Lake. Has hundreds of people working for him and a multimillionaire. I had never heard of him myself. But... Somebody, one of the men in my church, one of the elders in my church, had given him some of my teachings, and he'd been listening to them. And he was up in the mountains of Idaho and a few months ago, and he was up in a tree, 35 foot up in that tree, and the limbs he was on broke, and Dr. Gary Young fell all the way, 35 feet taller than the top of that building right there. He fell all the way from 35 feet, all the way. It crushed his back. They care-flighted him out of the mountains and took him to a hospital, done a CT scan on him, and the lower part of his back is crushed. They send him home. He goes home. And he's laying there in his bed Sunday evening with a crushed back in excruciating pain, and he finally thinks to call his friend, the elder in my church, and said, Would you contact Thurman and see if him and Cheryl would come out here tomorrow and pray for me? And he called us. And, of course, he had Cheryl's phone number. We were after church. We were sitting in a restaurant having a little bite to eat. And her phone rang, and she told me, said, it's Eldon. And he says, Dr. Gary Young had asked if we will come to Salt Lake tomorrow and pray for him. He's broken his back. I said, sure. I said, we can go tomorrow. I said, tell him we'll go. But I said, tell him when the cell phone tonight, I want to talk to him personally before we get there tomorrow. So she told him. Well, they went ahead and made the airplane reservations for us to leave the next morning to go to Salt Lake. And about 10 o'clock at night, we had got to the post office. We had already had dinner and went to the post office and was leaving and was on the way home when my cell phone rang, and it was Dr. Gary Young. I said, sir, are you in excruciating pain? He said, oh, yes, very much so. And I talked to him a few minutes about Jesus, and I said, well, since you're in excruciating pain... I said, the God I serve, he loves you, and he wants to do a miracle for you. I said, now he told me in Mark 11, 23, whatever I say with my mouth, if I can believe with my heart, he will do it for me. I said, so Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to touch him by the power of the Holy Spirit and do a complete miraculous healing on his back and take away all of his pain right now. I guarantee you, Dr. Gary, you'll get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. And I hung up the phone. We drove down the road about a mile. Cheryl looked over at me, and she said, Honey, what do you think? I said, No problem. With his faith and my faith, he'll be healed before we get there. 
See, now that's speaking the right things. We get home, unload the car, and I'm outside getting the last little load to take inside, and my cell phone rings. And it's Dr. Gary Young. It's only been 15 minutes since I prayed for him. He said, Thurman, the minute you prayed for me, my pain left. He said, I scooted over to the side of the bed and stood up and I had no pain. He said, I walked around. I bent over. I had no pain. He said, I went up the stairs and back down and I had no pain. I picked up my son, throwed him up on my shoulder, ran up the stairs and back and no pain. He said, I'm already healed. To come or not? He said, yes, come on, I'll pick you up in the morning myself. (laughs) Do we serve an awesome Jesus? So I go to Salt Lake City, Utah, and he picks me up the next morning, and we go out to his place, beautiful four-level home on 27 acres. He owns farms all over the place up there. And they got a huge business, and he's got clinics and everything, all kinds of stuff. And I got to teach lots of the people that work for him, family, relatives, you name it, the Word of God for two days. And they were all Mormons, including him. And I ask a question. When I talk about my Jesus... I said, first of all, y'all, I want y'all to know that my Jesus never brothers. I said, my Jesus, my Jesus made Lucifer. I said, another thing I want y'all to know, my father was never a man. And he never became good enough to become God. And then he became the spiritual being of God. I said, my father, God, has always been a spirit. He has forever been, and he's never changed, and he'll never be different. And they had a problem with that. And I said, now, wait a minute. How long has it been since y'all sent a miracle like this in the Mormon church? They said, in a hundred years of recorded history, we never have a one recorded miracle happen. I said, but I come in the name of Jesus, and he did this for y'all. So I said, now y'all are between a rock and a hard place. I said, Jesus loves you. It's obvious he really loves you. And he wants you to serve him. And he wants you to get... Lucifer were never brothers. And that God, the Father, was never a man. He's always been God. And I said, he sent me to tell you. And he didn't just send me with enticing words. He sent me with a demonstration of the mighty Holy Spirit to heal a man that you know, that you've loved, that's a, a big boy in your church... And I said, Dr. Gary, you're a big man in the Mormon church. Have you ever seen a miracle in the Mormon church? He said, in a hundred years of recorded history, there has never been one. But I said, you got one. But it was by the real Jesus. Isn't it wonderful what God will do for you when you believe him? When you walk in love. Now then, we had this great and awesome privilege to go out there and teach these mighty things. Now then... Just like Paul. Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words. But I come with a demonstration. That the God that I'm talking to you about tonight is the one and only true God. And that he cannot and will not share his power with no one else. And that means you. When you speak in his name, you've got to be willing to come to him like a little child and say, Lord, I'm one of your little children. 
And if he does something for you, you give him the glory and the praise. And you don't never take an ounce of it yourself. Because if you do, he won't do nothing for you again. He don't share his glory with no human being. None of us. Don't ever gloat or think that I did this. Just be grateful that you were ever able to speak in his name and see the King of kings and Lord of lords do the great and awesome things he does. He is awesome. And Ty and I and our wives, we're struggling down love walk with this God and a deeper knowledge of him so we can see greater miracles because we want everybody we touch and come in contact with to know that we serve the one and only living God, that he is alive and that he is still the miracle worker and he wants to do great and mighty things for his people. But he's a faith God. And if you don't believe him by faith, he won't do it for you. That's just the way, that's his way of doing things. And so that's why we don't see him do much in the church. Because we don't do it his way. But when you do it his way, man, do you get to see him do great and awesome things. Wow. I think a few years ago, I never dreamed I'd get to step over into this place to see the king do these things when I fight this fight of faith. But when you get to the point where you know who your God is, you can speak in his name because you realize you're an ambassador of his. You're a son of God. You're not just a friend. You're a son. You're a joint heir with the king. And when you speak in faith, he is there to make his word happen for you. Isn't he awesome? Praise God. Well, it's 930, so I guess we better quit. We started at 7. I don't want to wear you out. You know, I don't want you to not come back tomorrow night. So I don't want you to think I'm going to be here forever because we only got a few nights. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I think. Is that right? So uh, we're going we're gonna to continue on tomorrow night about how to walk this fight of faith. Tomorrow night we're going to cover lots of scriptures. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this day, for this blessing tonight to teach your And ask you to bless these people as they go forth and bring them back tomorrow night, fired up, ready to study, ready to learn how to walk in faith. And may you use these people to do great and mighty things for your kingdom. And we praise you and thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Unless Milton's got something tonight, or if there's those of you that need to be prayed for that cannot come back, we will pray for you. Otherwise, uh, you're dismissed until tomorrow night or to go get your media, whatever you want to. And if you do want to be prayed for, we will stay and pray for you. So otherwise, or if you want to answer, ask questions, we'll be up here for a while. Until they turn the lights off on us like they did last night. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So anyway, you're dismissed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, the Lord, he's made us a lot of promises in this book. And then it comes down to the fact, do we believe him? And uh, most people will say, yes, I do. But we really don't. I've said that for a long time. I mean, as a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in a church and everything. Uh, somebody said, you believe the Word of God? I said, everything. I mean, from Genesis to maps, I believe it all. But I didn't have a clue what it meant to stand on God's Word. Wow. 
I guess the reason it was so difficult to learn how to do that is because he's invisible. And I can't see him. You know, that's, that's what made it so difficult, I guess, to believe what is written versus what I can see. Because, you know, we can see things, and as we see them, we live in a world that we train ourselves with our five physical senses. So we've got to get over that as Christians. We've got to get to the point where we walk in faith, believing the Word of God. Now, I want to, my wife told me a while ago, she said, uh, we've been here all these nights so far, and you've not told the people at all about my Sozomi CD. So I want to tell you that my lovely bride has written ten beautiful songs and put them on a CD. We went, she wrote those for my teachings. All of them are revolved around my teaching, except maybe one. But, uh, but most of them are revolving around our, our teaching. And she would write them sitting here on the front row listening to me. And then she would go home at night and put those to music. <clears throat> and then we would go to the studio. And when she got about three of those written, she said, we need to put these on a CD. And I said, okay, you know, we'll take her daughter. Her daughter sings beautiful, too. And so I said, we'll just take you and Christy down there, and you two can put those three songs on a CD. You know, take us a couple hours, and, you know, we'll be okay. Well, let me tell you, I'd never been to a studio, and I've never seen how they put songs on CDs. Some of you are laughing out there as I see. But it took us months and months of dedicated study, and I mean, uh, preparation, trials, doing it over, everything else. And with the director, the engineer, the equipment, and everything, we finally got that first first 10 song CD produced. That first one cost us a little over $20,000. The first CD that come off, we had 20000 tied up in it. And we've given away. When I first, we first stuck it off, I had so much money tied up in that one. So I said, you know, we're going to send that out to everybody. We're, we're going to please ask everybody to send a dollar for the CD. <laughs> then I thought, that's nonsense. What am I talking about? Just give it away like everything else. So we did. Now, so we, in fact, we started every time you order, whether you order a Music, CD or not, we send a copy of that with every order. So if you haven't placed an order with us, you may not have a copy of the 10 song, Sozo Me Lord. That's the name of the CD. Let me ask the question. How many of you in here know what Sozo means? Wow, nearly nobody. Wow, what a teaching. I'm going to stop right here and interject something in how to walk by faith. Right where we stopped last night, I'm going to stop right here. That word is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's a Greek word. But it's written in the Greek New Testament 120 times in 103 different verses. Do you think it must be important? Very. You know, God says in his word, he says, let everything be confirmed out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. I got a hold of this revelation this night. This happened to me 20 years ago or maybe longer than 20 years ago. 
I was reading my favorite verse as a Baptist deacon. And I want you to turn with me to Romans 10. And I want you to see how this happened to me. Romans 10. We'll start with verse 8. And this is how this came to be. Romans 10. Verse 8. Now, if you've ever led anybody to Jesus, you probably have these verses memorized. Because I had them memorized as a Baptist deacon. I mean, I used these verses to get people saved with all the time. But I had no idea the in-depth of the meaning of these scriptures. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It is even in your mouth and in your heart. How far away is salvation? Right here and right here. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Did God make salvation simple? A little tiny child can get it. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus And you're saved. Is that right? That's the way every one of you in here got saved. Now, this doesn't make any difference if we're Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, non-denominational, whatever we are. If we know Jesus, we received him the same way. There's not two ways to heaven. There's only one. It's Jesus. And you have to confess him with your mouth and believe with your heart or you don't get it. What if you confess him with your mouth and don't believe with your heart? You didn't get it. It wasn't real. A lot of people confess Jesus as Lord, but they really don't believe it in their heart. You can tell it by their actions. They come to church once in a blue moon or on Christmas and Easter. You know, they really don't believe Jesus is Lord. But as you read there, that word saved, that the word is nigh thee. It is even in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith that we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, and you'll believe in your heart the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the word in the Greek, I had a divine appointment with God about 20 years ago, or maybe a little over 20 years ago. Computers were fairly new. Desktop computers came out in 1980. Now, some of you young people have been using them on all your life. You think, they only come out in 1980? Yes, before 1980, there was no desktop computers. They're brand new. 26 years is all we've had them. But for some of you that are 10, 12, 15, 20 years old, you may think everybody's had computers all their life. Like my son one day was sitting there watching color television, watching a cartoon when cartoons used to still be about halfway decent uh, 25 years ago. was sitting there watching a color cartoon one morning, and he said, Daddy, here he is a five-year-old boy, Daddy, what was your favorite cartoon on television when you were a little boy? I said, son, there was no television when I was a little boy. Oh, daddy, there's always been television. I mean, he'd he'd seen it all his life. He couldn't fathom that when I was a five-year-old boy, there was no such thing as television. 
And some of you in here, when you were five years old, there was no such thing as television. All these things are fairly new. But anyway, with computers and the technology that man has come out with, I had bought a new computer, and I had a software package on it. And with this software package, if I highlighted a word, I could synchronize either the Hebrew with the Old Testament or the Greek with the New Testament, and I could, I could put the Hebrew and Greek commentaries with the Hebrew and Greek dictionary right along beside it so I could see all of those on the screen at the same time. Now, that's a long ways from having to go get a book and look up all this stuff. You know, you look up a word, and then you've got to go to the concordance, and you find it, and then you go back, and you look up and find up the word and all that stuff, and then you've got to look it up in the Greek or Hebrew dictionary. You've got a stack of books this tall, and it takes a long time to do that. So, but with new computers, everything is on the screen at the same time. made life so wonderfully easy for me. I thought, wow, this is wonderful. Well, this night, I'm reading this verse in the computer, and when I get to the word saved, I highlight the word saved. And when I did, it immediately pulled in in the Greek the word esozio. And immediately pulled in the Greek dictionary down below, and it said the word sozo means in English saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. I thought, wow, that one word means all those things? I thought, I wonder how many times that word's used. So I moved over to the word sozo, and I said, computer, tell me how many times that word's used and where it's found in the whole Greek New Testament. Bam, in one heartbeat. It said 120 times and 103 verses. I went back over to the Greek, I mean to the uh, book of Matthew where the first one was found, and I started reading. And I read every one of them. It took me hours to read them all. All the way through the book of Revelation. I read every place and every example where the word sozo had been used. And sometimes it was translated healed, sometimes delivered, sometimes health, sometimes saved, healed. I thought, when I got to reading those, I stopped and leaned back in my chair and I said, Lord, I am more confused right now than I have ever been. I said, I don't understand this. If this word, sozo, means saved, healed, delivered, made whole, and preserved, just like this Greek dictionary says, then technically speaking, you not only saved me on the cross 2,000 years ago, but you healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago. You delivered me from the forces of darkness 2,000 years ago. You made me whole 2,000 years ago. In other words, you've done everything for me already. I said, Lord, if this is true, if this is really true and I'm understanding this right, why? Why? I said, I accepted you as my Lord and Savior at the age of 11 in a little Baptist church in Texas. And I said, Lord, I've been sick many times since I was 11. I was 40-something years old by this time. I said, Lord... If this word means what it says, then why have I been sick so many times if I was healed 2,000 years ago? 
And the Lord spoke to me audibly, just like I'm hearing my voice right now. He said, son, you have never received me by faith as your healer. I said, Lord, I have to do everything by faith? He said, son, I said in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it is impossible to please me. And unless you receive it by faith, that is the only way you can have anything from me. I thought, wow. I said, Lord, I immediately fell on my knees beside my computer desk and I said, Lord, I see it. You're a faith God. I am tonight receiving you as my healer. I said, I've got it. I am healed because you've done it for me. And I receive you as my healer right now. And I said, Lord, from this day forth, I'll go tell everybody I am healed because you did it for me 2,000 years ago. And I am never going to be sick again. That's the same declaration I made when I got saved. When I received the Lord as my Savior, I said, Lord, I'm saved. I confess that with my mouth and I believe that with my heart. I'm a born-again child of God. And I've done it by faith, so I'm saved. I have eternal redemption because the Word says so. I'm going to walk holy and obedient to God. I'm going to walk in His ballgame. I ain't going to go back out there in the devil's world. I'm going to stay over here with the king. I don't want to go back out there in the world. There's snakes out there. There's death and destruction out there. I don't want out there where the world is. I want to walk in God's camp. Well, the next morning I walked into work. Of course, most of the people that worked where I worked, including one of the men, was a Baptist preacher. Most of them were Baptists. Not all of them. Some of them were Methodists and some other things. Even one or two Pentecostals. I walked in my workplace and I throwed up my hands and I said, Folks, y'all are looking at a man that last night received Jesus Christ as his healer and I will never have another sick day. I'm telling you, they laughed at me. Oh, come on, Thurman. You've been a religious fanatic all of your life. You've always been bordering on this religion, fanatic stuff. Now you've dropped over the end. You know everybody's going to be sick. Do you hear anything wrong with their confession? It's all wrong. Jesus said, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you're going to have what you say. If you confess I'm going to be sick and you believe that with your heart, you're going to be sick. The devil is out there to oblige you because that's sin. I said, nope. I learned last night from the Word of God that Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease 2,000 years ago. I received him as my healer, just like I received him as my Savior. I said, when I received him as my Savior, you want to know if I'm saved again? I don't have to say, well, I hope so. I know so. I know people say, well, did you see any bright lights when you got saved? No. Did you see any angels? No. Did you hear any bells? No. Did any angels come down from heaven? No. Well, then how do you know you're saved? It's written in the Word. Is that right, brother? Because it's written in the Word, and I've done what the Word says. I know I'm saved. I know when I do leave this world, I'm going immediately to be with the King. There's no two ways about it. So I received Jesus by faith, not on what somebody else had told me, 
or what I had gotten into my spirit. I received the king by faith as my healer, and I've been confessing that ever since. And guess how many times I've been sick in the last 20 years? Not one single minute. Is that wonderful? You know, very few people approach their 68th birthday. That's what I'll be my next one. 68 on my next birthday. And I've not had a single sick day in over 20 plus years. Isn't that awesome? But if God is no respecter of persons, and He'll do the same thing for you He done for me, if you'll get in His Word and believe these promises, guess what the King will do for you? Same thing. That's exactly right. Isn't it wonderful that we've got a God that treats us all exactly the same? I love it. Now, if he had favorites, he might say, well, I like this boy on the front. I'll, I'll, I'll do good things for him. But this pastor over here, I don't like him, so I ain't going to do nothing for him. <laughs> I, could, I could kid Milton a little here. Hey, us pastors, we have to do these kind of things. We don't want to attack somebody else. But we don't want to attack each other either. But the thing about it is, God is no respecter. He don't care if it's Milton or me. It don't make any difference with God or you. He treats every one of us exactly the same. He said, you get in my word. He said, I have given you my word. One day when we get to heaven, I think about a man that I used to know. I haven't seen him in a long time. But this man also had an experience with God. And he technically died and got to go to heaven. And then he came back. And he says, when I got to heaven... And I saw something. I said, Lord, what is this? He said, son, didn't you read my book? Yes, Lord. He said, then you should know that I wrote. And he told him what book and chapter and verse where he had explained that in detail, what that was. He said, well, Lord, I guess I read that, but I didn't really believe you meant what you said. And so in a little while, he'd come up on something else. He said, Lord, what is this? He just said, son, didn't you read my book? Well, I got a feeling one day when we get there, there's going to be a lot of us he's going to say the same thing to. Didn't you read my book? Yes, Lord, I read it. He said, your only problem is you read it and you didn't believe it. Isn't that a shame? Because when we read the book literally, it means exactly what it says. Think, if the word sozo means healed, and we can put that word right there. Let's go back to Romans 10 and let's look at it. But what saith it? Romans 10, 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if I shall confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord, and shall believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be healed. Is that awesome? Because the word saved there means it actually in the Greek is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And the word sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. So, if you say it like this. But what saith it? The word is nigh me. It's in my mouth and in my heart. 
that is the word of faith which, I, which we preach, that if we shall confess Jesus with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, I shall be made whole. That'll work. Or I shall be delivered from the devil. We're children of God. And if there's anything we need to learn, it is the Word of God. But let me tell you, that night, well over 20 years ago, I don't know how many times I had been sick in my life. I had double pneumonia twice. I'd been down in my back at least six times. At least six. I had, in fact, a cold or a flu. I'm going to ask this question to you as a Christian. Do you expect to have the cold or a flu at least once every year? Some people do. I mean, you know, they come out with the flu shot. You come down and take the flu shot. I used to go take that thing at work when they give it to us free. I'd take it till I learned how to walk by faith. When I learned what was rightfully mine, I never took a flu shot again. Never. And then if a runny nose even begins to come upon me, I said, Lord, if there's something I've done, some sin I committed that allows the enemy to put this thing on me, I repent for every sin known and unknown. Now then, by your stripes I'm healed, and you devil of hell, you have no authority over me, and I command you to get out of my nose and go to the pit of hell and leave me in Jesus' name. And he goes away. What does the average Christian like I used to be? You wake up in the morning and you got a stopped up head and a runny nose. Oh, honey, I need you to go to the medicine cabinet and get me one of them cold pills. I know nobody in here has ever been guilty of that but me. I got a feeling every one of you have been guilty of that. See, I was guilty of it many times, but I didn't know how to walk by faith. But when I got a hold of what was rightfully mine as a son of God, if Jesus, I mean, after all, was he the king or was he the king? Is he still the king? He's the king, isn't he, brother? Here's a man over here. I mean, he jumps right out there. I can tell he's his king. You know who he is, don't you, brother? And he's mine and your God, isn't he? And he's our king. If Jesus told us through the apostle Paul, That our miracle is in our mouth and in our heart. And I think it's time we believe Him. Don't you? What did He say there? It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. The word of faith that we preach. That if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and really believe that in our heart. He said, then you're saved. Not only saved, you're healed. You're made whole. You're delivered. You ought to take a tape recorder and you ought to record what you say every day for a week and then take a week to listen to it. You would be amazed at the negative things you say. I I mean, I tried that. I could not believe some of the things I say. In fact... We say so many things that we don't believe when, of course, after computers came out, I used to have uh, 
uh, men come into my office and talk to me about things, and then they would swear to me later that they never said that. And I said, you know, one day after computers came out, especially after I got recording software, I just set a little microphone beside my computer, and before one of them come into my office, I'd turn it on, click it, and then I'd put the program on minimize so nobody could see what was going on. And I'd bring them in and I'd talk to them. 30 minutes, hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it took. I recorded every word. Then I would save that to a file. And if there's never any controversy for six months or a year, then I'd delete it and get rid of it. But if next week one of the guys said something about being in my office and said something, and I said, well, you know, Joe, come in your office and said this. I said, no, that's not what he said at all. He said, you said this. I said, no, that's not what I said at all. But he said, you said. I said, okay, let's find out. What do you mean, let's find out? I said, let me get you a recording of that. And then we played it back. And they found out what, who said and what they did. And they said, I didn't say that. I said, well, there it is. It's amazing what we say that's negative. You know, just like I told you the other night, how my mother would say when I'd hit that front door to go get the mail, Son, don't run out there with them bare feet. You'll catch your death of cold out there. Some of you all been guilty of that, haven't you? Sure we have. See, we didn't realize that we we're going to be judged by our words. Our words. You know what you can do? I see people all the time that say, in fact, I, I just ministered to a, a man just the other day. I said, do you love yourself? He said, no. Do you know God commanded us to love him first and then our neighbor as ourself? You know, if you don't love yourself and then you start making the wrong confessions, you will. And this man said, I really don't care if I'll ever die. And he was dying. He was dying. Why was he dying? His confession was wrong. Every time he said, I don't care if I live or die, the devil would say, oh, there's one that wants to die. So I have legal right to him. So the devil would come in, and every time he would make that statement, he would chisel away a little bit of his life, and slowly but surely this man is dying. Your confession is the most powerful thing you have in you. You must learn to speak God's Word. I think about the grandmother, that her son and daughter-in-law, or whatever they were, I forget which way was which, but anyway, the, the, the children, they run around together and had sex together and done drugs together and did all kinds of stupid things before they got married, and she got pregnant, and they brought a little boy into the world. They got married, finally. But they brought a little boy into the world, but the boy was severely handicapped with cerebral palsy because of the mother's and father's sin. No, no problem of his, but it was mother's and father's sin. See, the Lord says in his word, he said, if you're obedient to do what I tell you to do, I will bless you and your children. He said, if you're not obedient and you do not do what I say, I will curse you and your children to the fourth generation. You've read that, haven't you, son? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Except for one thing. Four generations down the line, and of course, we've talked about this many times when I talk about sickness. 
there's always a sin if there's sickness involved. There's always a sin in somebody's life, either yours and, or somebody else down the line. And people said, well, you know, that's not true. Because John 1, I mean John 9, 1, Jesus was asked, is this man blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God may be manifest in the earth. I said, that was his answer. See, he didn't have any sin. I said, no, no. That's not what Jesus said. The question was asked, is this man blind because of his sin or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This man or his parents have sinned, which caused this sickness. But he was not asked any further than that. Now, see, even the heathens in that day and age, and for sure the men in the church, knew that no curse could come upon you undeserved. Proverbs 26, 2. They knew that scripture. So they knew since no curse could come upon us undeserved, we had to have a sin or the devil couldn't come upon us to attack us. They knew and understood that principle. I mean, even all the way back to the heathen in Jonah's day. You know, when Jonah went on the boat and he was disobedient, he went on the ship and he was going to go the wrong direction. And the biggest storm that ever come up was blowing that ship away. Day after day. Finally, them heathens on that ship said, somebody on this boat has angered the gods. Who is it? See, they knew no storm like that had ever been up out there in the sea without a cause. Jonah said, it's me. I've made God mad. He said, well, what can we do to stop this? He said, throw me overboard. They said, gladly. So they took him up to the side and threw him out into the raging sea. And immediately the sea was calm. And then that great big fish come up there and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah said, God, I will not go to Nineveh. And when that big fish is swallowing him as he's going down his gullet, he's screaming, God, I repent, I repent, I'll go to Nineveh. God says, I know you're going, because I'm going to take you. But I'm going to let you die first. I'm going to let you lay in the belly of this fish for three days, and you're going to suffer the consequences you would not have had to suffer if you'd have been obedient and done what I told you to do in the first place. How many of you know you can't fight against God? I mean, there ain't no way you can fight against a king. So... Jonah, the fish comes running up out there on the bank and spits out Jonah. And when this preacher comes out, he don't come out in a three-piece suit smelling good. I told you all my wife smelled me last night, you know, before I came to see if I smelled good. She didn't want me to smell bad. Well, let me tell you, it's a good thing she wasn't the wife of Jonah. Because she wouldn't have let him go to work. Because I'll tell you, he smelled awful. He'd been in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And whenever he'd come out, he had reeds wrapped around him. I'm sure he had burns all over his body. Can you imagine what he looked like, young lady? He's awful. When he walked out, he walked right out of that fish right out there on the beach and people everywhere. And he said, repent or God's going to wipe out this city in 40 days. I'm telling you what, they didn't need a radio or a television. That went through that city like a wildfire. 100,000 people in that city. I mean, it's 10 of these little cities put together. And it went through like a wildfire. And everybody, including the king, come to repentance. And when they repented, God didn't destroy Nineveh for another hundred years. Repentance, that's what it takes. But see, 
until we get a hold of the fact of what God has done for us, we do not know and understand these principles. But just like in, in when we have sin, some people throw this thing in my face. Well, Noah, I mean, not Noah, but Job, he didn't sin. He was blameless. But it's obvious that we don't read Job very well. It's got 42 chapters, and it doesn't start telling you what Job's sin is until chapter 32. And you really don't get into it much in detail until about verse chapter 34 or 35. But as you read about Elihu, you find out he tells you clearly what Job's sin was, and they were many. So that's real easy to tell that Job did have many sins and that the devil did have legal claim to him. It's there. But in John 9, 1, it takes a little bit more digging to find out what God meant there. You know why God does this? You know why he didn't just lay everything out on a platter for you and me? He wants to know, are you willing to dig in my word and find these answers? You know, he says in the book of Proverbs, if you will mine my word like you're digging for silver and gold, I will reveal myself to you. I mean, that's a lot of work. Have any of you ever mined for silver and gold? Maybe some of you never mined for silver and gold, but maybe you had to dig a ditch one day. And that's kind of minor compared to mining. But that's what you got to do. you got to spend time with God. When you get in His Word and you dig in His Word, He will reveal to you from Scripture that, hey, I put a curse upon people when they don't do what I say. And I don't just curse them. I curse them and their children to the fourth generation when they don't do what I tell them. And that's what that's written in His Word in lots of places under the law. Except one place, he says in there, that if you bring a child into the world in an adulterous affair or fornication, in other words, illicit sex, not married, he said, I will curse you and your family ten generations for that sin. If people believe that, they'd stop having sex if they wasn't married. I mean, the hippie generation in the 60s, they come along with the pill, and they had free, what they call free love everywhere. And we had all kinds of devastation, sickness, and disease come along. AIDS wasn't even a problem in the early 60s. But now look what we've got. Wow. And you know how many people know this? Not many. Not many. But... If you learn it, I guarantee it'll change the way you do business. Because it's written in God's Word. You know, I'm just the teacher of the Word. He's the one that wrote the book. I didn't write the book. Y'all all know that, I know. God wrote this book. And He told us what He expects us to do. And then if we walk in faith, if we come to Him and receive Him as our Savior, and then we're willing to get into the Word and study it and walk in faith, we'll learn that we're redeemed from everything. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes more in detail when we get on into the good fight of faith. What you can do, what you're redeemed from, and all these wonderful things. And then you can step into a world where that you'll find that God has made peace with you between Him and you because of the blood of His Son. And because of that, you and me can walk in a place of awesome power and authority with God. I mean, it's such fun to live here. 
You know, I mean, I think about the privilege of stepping into the world of faith. I mean, I'm so grateful that the king revealed these things to me. He had a plan because I certainly would have never learned these principles in the church that I was in because they don't know them. They really don't know them. It's so amazing that it's like we don't want to know them. But let me tell you, when you do learn these principles and start acting on them, it's fun to see God do these great and awesome things. I'll tell you. Just to tell you, of course, I've told you several of the healings and miracles and things I've seen God do. But about three years, two and a half, three years ago, I was down in Manny, Louisiana, little tiny town in Louisiana, and probably a fifth the size of this place, maybe not even that big. But a little church, little non-denominational church, 50 people there. And I had been down there a year before, and I had seen a woman miraculously healed in a wheelchair, and she was in her mid-60s. Now, when I came down there and I preached that time, and this, I preached about a week, and then at the last night, I asked people to come forth for prayer, for healing. And this woman, finally, she was one of the last ones in this wheelchair in her early to mid-60s, 62, 3, 4. And I asked her, I said, how long have you been in this wheelchair? She said, about five years. And I said, well, why do you think you're in this wheelchair? Oh, she said, oh, I'm just getting old. I said, ma'am, I don't buy that. That's not a good enough excuse. I mean, you know, 62 or 3 years old is not old enough to be in a wheelchair. You know, you've you got to think wrong to be in a wheelchair. But I said, are you married? She said, well, I was. And I said, well, what do you mean you was? She said, well, my husband died. I said, we were married about 40-something years, and my husband died. I said, well, okay. I said, have you remarried? She said, no. I said, uh, are you live alone? She said, yes. I said, uh, can you think of any kind of sin that you got into after your husband died? I said, all the time your husband was alive, were you healthy and strong? She said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I said, so did you get into any kind of sin? She said, well, no, no I guess not. She said, I'm just weak because I'm getting old. I said, no, I don't buy that. I said, you've got a sin in your life somewhere. I've got to find it. And I said, I talked about several things that was sin. And no, she didn't do none of those things. I said, well, after your husband died, you probably got lonely, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really got lonely after a few years and he was gone. I said, uh, you didn't get involved with a man, did you? Well, she said the meter reader comes by and you know, he reads the meter and out front and said I would invite him in for, to the front porch for a cup of tea or something. We had talked because I said I, I didn't have hardly any friends and I really missed my husband and, and I enjoy talking with a male. And uh, I said, well, did you and him get friendly enough to get sexually involved? Well, she said after a few months, uh, yeah, we did. I said, there's your problem. There's your problem. She said, what do you mean? I said, your sin, your sexual sin, has allowed the enemy to come into your flesh. The Word of God says sin brings forth death. I said, so your body is being weakened day by day by the demons of hell, and they're, going, they're putting you in this wheelchair, and it won't be long. They will kill you, and you will have thought it was just a 
a way of life. But I said, you don't have to be in that wheelchair. I said, if you'll ask God to forgive you, he will. I said, then he'll heal you. She said, sir, I never heard nothing like this. I said, ma'am, didn't you know that adultery is wrong? Well, yeah, I heard that it was wrong. But she said, I didn't realize there's a consequence. I said, oh, yeah, there's always a consequence to adultery and fornication. Somehow, someway, either with you or your children. And I said, you're too old to bear children. So I said, it'll be with you. And she said, you mean that if I ask God to forgive me for that and stop doing that, he will heal me? I said, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. So she said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this. Lord, I I was yielding totally to the flesh. And she said, Lord, I repent. I really didn't know it was wrong. I, I did know it was wrong, but I didn't know it had a consequence. But she said, Lord, now that I know it, I ask you to forgive me. And she said, I promise you, I won't never do that again. I reached up and laid my hands on her, and I said, now, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18, I rebuke this spirit of hell. I command you to leave this woman. I said, now, woman, take my hands and get up and walk out of that wheelchair. And she reached up and took my hands and stood up, and that woman was walking perfect to this day. Next, I was down there a year later, and she come walking in. In fact, that night when I got ready to leave, the preacher that was a pastor over that church. He knew the lady. She'd come to his church regularly in a wheelchair. That night she walked out. He said, I'll go get my pickup to take you home. And she said, no, no, I can't get my pickup because it's too high. You won't be able to get in. She said, now, before today I couldn't, but today I can. So he went and got his pickup. She went out and stepped up on the running board and got in his pickup, and he took her home. A year later when I was back down there, that woman's still working, walking, totally, completely healed. So when I got back, I told her, I said, uh, I saw her, beautiful woman, about 65 or whatever by this time. I said, I see you're still healthy. She said, yes. I said, you haven't stepped back into sin, have you? She said, no, sir. She said, I'm not going there either. Not going there. She said, the consequences were too severe. I said, so you're not too old to be up running and playing, are you? She said, no, I'm not. But she said, it's amazing how I'd been deceived. See, that's the way the devil works on us. We don't know that sin has a consequence and it pays a serious price. But we read in the scripture where the scripture says sin brings forth death. But we don't believe that. But it does. Very rarely does God bring forth a sin instantly. Usually he'll give you time to repent and he'll try everything. But anyway, the next time I went down there, they had... Several people had heard about this woman and her healing. And so when I got there that night, there was a uh, Baptist man from the Baptist church over there. And when they brought him in, it took two men to bring him in. And he was walking totally stiff-legged, and he had steel braces from his waist to his ankles. They brought him and set him on the front row because he couldn't bend his legs. I taught the Word of God about two hours. And after two hours... I walked down here and to the front, and I said, you know, if there's anybody here that needs to be prayed for, if you come up here, I'll pray for you. And there was a little lady come running down the center aisle with both hands shaking like this. And I said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? She said, I have lupus and Parkinson. And I reached up and put my hand on her shoulder and said, in Jesus' name. That's all I said. And instantly her hands just stopped shaking. And I thought, wow, the gift of miracles have just come up on me. 
God, I said, Lord, where's that man with the steel on his legs? I ran over and I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, 21 months ago, a tree fell across a tractor I was driving and crushed my legs. He said, they'd done surgery on me, but they couldn't fix me. He said, they put me together, but they put these steel braces on me. I can stand up with this steel, but they say, I'll never walk or bend my knees again. I said, but Jesus said in John 14, 13, and 14. Now, if you don't know that scripture, I want you to look at it. John 14, 13, and 14. Jesus made you and me a promise. Well, you have to believe it. You know what it says? You ever read it? No, you don't know it. Look it up. I want you to see it. I want you to see that God makes us promises. And these are to all of us. Jesus said in John 14, 13, and 14. Is, is that an awesome promise, brother? Is it awesome? Yes. So if you've got that kind of promise and you're a son of God, what else do you need? Nothing. What can you get done with that, young lady? Everything. What did Jesus say that you can do in John 14, 13, and 14? What did he say? Ask the Father in my name what? Anything. What is it we don't understand about these promises? You know, we look at something, and he's and he done it twice, didn't he? He said it in John 14, 13, and John 13, 14, verse 14. He said it again, didn't he, sir? Anything in my name. Is that what it says? I will. Oh, not maybe. I will. See, I knew that verse. Both of them. So I asked that man. I knelt down in front of him. I said, Jesus made us this promise in John 14, 13 and 14. I quoted him. I said, do you believe that? He said, if Jesus said it, I believe it. I said, that's all I need. It was, he was a black man from the Baptist church. A man that loved God with all his heart. But a tree had fell on him and broke his legs. And the devil was going to keep him down now. And he ain't never going to walk another step as long as he lives. And he's, he's got grown children. This man needs to be up to where he can go work. I knelt in front of him, laid my hands on them knees, and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of those two verses, I ask you to do a supernatural healing on those knees. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, you believe that? He said, I do. I said, then take that steel off and let's walk. He started unstrapping all that steel. He took it all off and throwed it down. I said, now bend your legs. He bent his legs, and I said, now stand up. And I, he's kind of sitting there, and I reached out and grabbed him by the hand. I said, I said, get up in the name of Jesus. And he stood up. And when he stood up, he said, oh, Mr. Scribner, it hurts. I said, I know the devil's going to make it hurt. But I said, don't believe him, believe God. And I jerked him, and I said, come on. He took a step. I jerked him again. I said, come on. I jerked him again. He come another step. I said, now then, you're on your own. And he walked around the podium three times and broke down that aisle and ran to the back of that church with both hands up screaming, God is awesome. And the man's name is Johnny Brumfield. And today that Baptist man is still totally, completely healed. And he's walking and running and playing and doing anything he wants to. Now, is our God an awesome God or is he an awesome God? This is part of fighting the fight of faith. 
Like this brother here, he told me God said I could ask anything in his name. Is that what your Bible said you said, sir? So if he said that, does yours say that too? Yours say that? You mean you've had this book all this time with them promises in it and don't work, don't stand on it? You know what? Whenever I finally found out that all these promises were really for me, you know what I wanted to, I wanted to do to myself? I wanted to reach up and grab myself by the nap of the neck, slap myself every way in the world, thinking, you dummy. You know where I'm coming from? Here, God, God, only God, now not some crazy fly-by-night cowboy, but God wrote this book. And he gave it to you and me, didn't he, brother? Now then, if God, I mean, if, if I'd have wrote this book, or Ty had wrote this book, you know, or anybody else, your pastor to wrote this book, you could have thrown this book out the window. But we didn't write this book, did we? This book is full of promises, isn't it, brother? And then promises is for you and you. But everything in that book is for you and me. When he tells us not to sin, that's for you too. He said, if you sin, there's a consequence. That's for you too. That's for me too. And he's no respecter of persons. In fact, the higher up you get in the faith walk, the greater he will hold you accountable. The less nonsense he will put up with. That's scary too. The Lord said in His Word that if you know these things and go ahead and do them anyway, and they're wrong, I will beat you with many stripes. Anybody ever read that in the Word? He said, now if you do them and don't know it, I'll beat you with few stripes. But you're going to get beat anyway, right? So it pays good dividends to read the book. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. But if you'll do it, you'll get to see God. When you learn how to fight this fight of faith, you'll get to see things. That church went wild. That night they were screaming and running and jumping. But Johnny Brumfield is a real man. And he's got a wife and children. In fact, a gentleman up in, I think it was in New York or somewhere up in the Northeast, I believe it was New York. He called me one day and said, I've been listening to some of your stuff. He said, uh, you sure do talk about a lot of miracles on here. In Matthew chapter 13, in Mark 4, and Luke 8, Jesus makes a statement in every one of those chapters. He says, when you hear the word of God and do not fully understand it, the enemy, Satan, comes and steals the word out of your heart. How in the world does the devil... Reach into your heart and get those words. I don't know. But Jesus understands the spirit world far deeper than you and I do. And if he said that when you hear the word and don't fully understand it, the devil comes and steals the word out of your heart, guess what? He does exactly what the word of God says. There was a person I told that one time and it talked about that in church. And a person come to me and told me, said, you know, that absolutely confirms what the Lord showed me one day. He said, I was in church and all of a sudden when I walked out, I literally saw a demon sitting in the back. And I said, Lord, what is that demon doing? 
And he said, as the people walked by, this demon was reaching in their heart. I said, what is that demon doing? He said, he's stealing the word out of their heart. I thought, that demon is stealing the word of our... But the word says so. The word says Satan steals the word out of our heart. I thought, now wait a minute. If Satan steals the word out of my heart, and God has given me this full arsenal of weapons I need to defeat or beat the devil with, then how do I get him to not do that? And then I came upon that magnificent scripture of Luke 10, 19, and 20. I mean, that is a powerful verse, two verses. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you. And you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Well, let me tell you, if a demon has to be subject to me, once I learn that, he's in trouble. Once I learned that, the devil's in trouble. So then when I came in, I learned these principles. I learned how to kick him out. I learned how to take authority over him and drive the beast out, command him not to steal a word out of my heart. And I got to where I could memorize the word of God in ten times the speed that I could before. It just blew me away. I mean, I have memorized hundreds of scriptures in the Word of God. I mean, I've sat in churches and spoke five and six consecutive hours in quote verses and never opened my Bible. I got a lot of it hidden in there. But I can think of how many years I didn't have five hidden in there. Why? Because every time I'd try to learn one, when I'd walk out the door, the devil would reach right in there and say, snatch them right out of me. And they were gone. One night, a young lady come to a Bible study. Actually, she was the pastor's wife. She come to a Bible study and she said, Thurman, I love doing what I do. I work outside the home. But said, the people down there where I work use so much profanity, it's unbelievable. She said, I've talked to them and told them, would they please not use the profanity? I'm a Christian and I don't like hearing it. And she said, they just get worse. How much power does she have over these devils? Do they have to be subject to her? Sure. Does she know it? No. I told her, I said, ma'am, I have your answer. I said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow, when you and your husband get up, he's a pastor of a little church there in uh, Flower Mound. I said, when you all get up in the morning, I want both of you all to get on your knees and praise God and worship him for Luke 10, 19 and 20. I want you to read it two or three times. Then when you go to work, I said, I want your husband to take authority with you around the breakfast table and rebuke the spirits that will be around you all day because he's your spiritual authority. I said, when you get to the workplace, I want you to walk up to the front of the building. I want you to make sure that nobody, nobody is in earshot or can hear you. I want, when you do, I said, when you walk up there and I want you to look, I want you to say, Satan, I want you to know I'm in charge in this building and not you. I want you to know I am a daughter of the king of the universe and Jesus is in me. And me and him's going in there 
and I am taking authority over you and your demons, and I'm commanding every demon to keep their mouth shut today, and I will not allow a single one of those demons to speak a word of profanity in my earshot. Do you hear me, devil? Luke 10, 19 and 20 says, Jesus said, you have to be subject to me. So I am commanding you to keep your mouth shut and to not speak any word of profanity. Well, we go along there for a while, and I quit teaching Bible study in that little church. And about nine months later, I was in another church teaching the Word of God. And that night, that Baptist preacher's wife was over there at that church. And another little girl by the name of Millie was there that night. And we're teaching on spiritual authority. And Millie says, Mr. Scrivener, i got a question. I don't understand this spiritual authority stuff you're talking about. But she said, I have a, it brings up a question to me. She said, I was valedictorian in my class in high school. She said, I was in the top ten in my college class. So she said, I'm not a dummy. But she said, I cannot remember enough of the Word of God to teach a young people's class without keeping my notes right beside me. Why is that? I said, oh, that's real simple. I have your answer. I said, in your answer... You'll find it in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. That's where the devil comes and steals the word out of your heart. I said, Amelia, tell you what I want you to do. She said, I, I just can't remember the word. I said, I know. I know. But I said, you're going to be able to after tonight. I said, when you go home tonight, I want you to get on your knees and raise your hands, and I want you to open your Bible where you can read Luke 10, 19, and 20, and I want you to praise God for those two promises. Praise Him and thank Him. That he is your God, that he defeated the devil 2,000 years ago, and that he gave you all power over the devil, and that the devil has to be subject to you. Now, the king said that, didn't he, ma'am? If he did, I think it's time we believe him, don't you? Amen. Praise God. So I said, now then, after you praise the king for giving you that, then I want you to speak directly to the devil. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Jesus defeated the devil for us 2,000 years ago. He has no power. He's defeated. I said, tell him, devil, I know you're defeated, and I know that you have no power over me, and I am taking authority over you as a daughter of the king, and I'm commanding you not to steal a word out of my heart. Now, you get out of my house, and you will never steal another word out of my heart. And every time I sit down to read and study God's word, I'm kicking you out, and you're not going to steal another word out of my heart. I said, now, Father... I'm asking you to lock these words in my heart. Hide them in my heart as I study them. Put them in my mind so that I can use them. I can withdraw them anytime I want to so I can use them against the enemy. So I will not sin against you, my Lord. I said, he'll do it for you. About as I told her that, she said, I've never heard anything like this in my life. The Baptist preacher's wife spoke up and she said, I was in his Bible class nine months ago and I'd never heard anything like that either. But she said, he told me how to get the profanity stopped where I worked. And she said, every morning when I go to work, I take authority over them demons. She said, he told me this nine months ago. She said, you know how much profanity, Millie, I've heard in my workplace in the last nine months? She said, how much? She said, not one single word. How much power and authority do we have over the devil, brother? All. Oh. Does the devil have to be subject to us? 
Don't you think it's time as Christians we start being in control instead of the devil? I mean, after all, when you read the Word, you realize that God gave these awesome promises to you. There's a woman smiling. She's glad she's got power over the devil. Aren't you, ma'am? Do you know what you can do? I've had people learn this and one of their children get all upset and start screaming and kicking. And they look over and say, you devil of hell, come out of that child and stop that right now in the name of Jesus. And I've seen those children instantly stop. To those children, until those children get saved, who are they? Are they children of God or children of the devil? They belong to the devil. you got a devil living in your house until your children get saved. I know you don't like to believe that, but some of you already know that. Because <laughs> your children act like devils. Is that true? Sure. You don't have to teach them how to hate each other. You don't have to teach them how to fuss and fight. You don't have to teach them how to do everything mean, do you? You have to teach them how to love. You've got to teach them how to share. You've got to teach them how to do good things. But those little demons that will manifest in your children or your grandchildren, when they start doing stupid things, instead of doing something or grabbing a switch and beating them right quick, first exercise your authority as a Christian and rebuke that demon and command that demon to stop doing what he's doing to that child. I've seen children instantly. In fact, I'll give you an example. It was an older couple... Just recently, at one of my healing schools, brought, they called me on Thursday. I said, sir, we heard about your healing school, and we've got a problem. We have a, I think it was a 10-year-old grandson, and said, we're keeping him now because my son and daughter have gone somewhere else, and they left him with us, and said, we cannot control this boy. I said, he's not saved, is he? She said, no, no, he doesn't know Jesus yet. He's only 10. I said, he's old enough to know Jesus. I said, bring him to a healing school. We have one Saturday. She said, sir, he's not sick. I said, oh, yeah, he's sick. He's sick in a different way. I said, bring him. So they came, and they sat and listened. He was back in the back, and he's walking around doing all kinds of things for four hours. After the healing school was over, teaching God's Word, they came up and said, we're the ones that called about our, grand- Excuse me, our grandson. I said, well, where is he? Well, he's back there somewhere. I said, call him. They said, so and son, so and so, whatever his name was, come up here. So he come down the aisle and walked up, stood right in front of grandmother and grandfather. I knelt down on my knees in front of him. I'd be about the same height. I looked him right in the eyes and I said, son, are you a born again Christian? No. I said, how would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? He said, I'm not interested. I just reached up and put my hands on his shoulders and shuck him one time lightly, and I said, you devil of hell that's blinding his mind, come out of him. I said, now, Father, in Jesus' name, convict this boy of sin and bring him into the kingdom right now in Jesus' name. I said, now, son, how would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? He said, I'd love it. (laughs) Got him saved right there, and a couple weeks, grandmother and grandfather called me and said, you'll never believe the difference in this boy. Hey, when you kick a devil out of him, how much power and authority did Jesus say we had over these devils? Don't you think it's time we exercise that? I think it's time that the church starts believing what's written in the book. I mean, after all, it'll change everything you do. It sure has made my life fun. You know, 
I mean, that little devil and that little boy, he's no match for a man of God. All you got to do is grab him by the shoulders and rebuke that thing and command that thing to leave. What did Jesus say that devil had to do? He's got to obey you. Is that what he said? Well, when you do these things in faith, you will see God show up in your home and you'll see great and awesome things happen. When you learn to fight this fight of faith, it's an awesome fight. And that's why I say, like I said the other night, the church is at war. We think we're a social club. We're not a social club. We're a group of warriors. We're fighting against the devil and his demons. But our God has given us everything we need to beat the beast with. But we spend more time in his camp, as a rule, the church, than we do in God's camp. Well, let me tell you, when you spend time in God's camp, it's fun over there. It's fun serving God. When you are confronted by a demon, you have no fear. When sickness and disease tries to come up on your body and you know you're walking in obedience to God's Word, sickness and disease tries to come up on one of your children, don't take them to a doctor. Take them to Dr. Jesus. Make sure all your sins are repented of and your husband's sins are repented of and have your husband, the spiritual leader, go in there and lay his hands on that child and quote Mark 16, 17, and 18 and command them demons that are messing up your children to leave and tell them you ain't taking no for an answer and then thank God for healing your children. And within a matter of a few seconds to a few hours, your children will be healed. All you got to do is believe God and you'll get to where you'll need to go to a doctor almost never. Almost never. It's fun. And, it, and Jesus, the beautiful part about Jesus, He don't charge for house calls. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Like I said, though, last night, as I've said before, if you don't know how to walk in faith, you better find you a good Christian doctor because you're going to need Him. You're going to need Him. Praise the Lord. But thank God for good Christian doctors because if we hadn't had them, I, here's one boy. That didn't know how to walk by faith for the first 40 years of his life. And if I hadn't had a good doctor, I would have never made it, that's for sure. Now then, one of the things we have to contend with is the flesh. The flesh is your next worst enemy. I call this thing that I live in a beast. I mean, it's hard to deal with. It wants to do its own thing. Contending with the flesh. Only the spirit is new. The body is the same. You have to... Deal with the body. Whatever the body was wanting to do before, it probably wants to do after you get saved. You will have to deal with it. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9.27, we see how Paul had to deal with his flesh. Now, if Paul, as great an apostle as Paul was, if he had to contend with the flesh, I can assure you, you will have to contend with the flesh. I know I have to deal with the flesh. Even in the awesome place I've had the privilege to walk with God, I still have to deal with this beast I live in. He is my worst enemy. He really is. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul said, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself 
should become disqualified. Think about that. Paul says due to the flesh he might become disqualified. And if there was a chance that Paul could become disqualified, there's a good chance you and I could become disqualified. But he says there, when I first read this the first few times, I thought there's two people here involved. Paul, but I, who is he talking about? I discipline my body. I and my body is the same thing, you think. But that's not true. I discipline my body and bring it, or my body, into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become a castaway. Now, let me tell you. All ago we read that we were, how many parts? Three. The spirit, the soul, and the body. And the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the spirit is that part of you that was recreated and made new that's in you. That's like God. Let me tell you what, the way we have to contend with the flesh. I mean, the flesh, now this is the way that nearly all of us Christians have to contend with the flesh. I can go out and have a great meal at noon somewhere and eat what I want, a reasonable meal, and I'm comfortably full. I mean, I don't need nothing else. I mean, I'm not hungry, don't have a hunger pain of no kind. But I have a weakness. I have many weaknesses. But one of them is fresh pecan pie with vanilla ice cream on top. That's the way some of y'all laughed. You might have the same weakness. So I can be comfortably full, don't need a single thing. And somebody says, are you hungry? Nope, not the least bit hungry. I'm great shape. Well, I just thought you might, especially one of these wonderful ladies, you know, that invited you over to her house as a pastor, and you walked in, she said, but I just made a fresh pecan pie, and I have some homemade fresh vanilla ice cream. But I guess since you're not hungry, but I thought you might like to have a big, nice double dip of ice cream with a great big slice of that warm, warm pie. You know what my body does? Yes, I'll take it. But you know what I have to do? I have to say, as my body reaches out, I, I beat it. like I, I, discipline, I beat my body to bring it into subjection. No, you may want it, but you can't have it. Because if I eat more than I need, what's it going to do to me? It's going to show up on my flesh. So I have to beat my body to bring it into subjection to me and make my body obey my spirit. Now, my body wants to do, my body wants to be lazy. My body wants to sleep in in the morning. My body wants to do what's really nice and easy. It don't want to study the Word. That's too much work. But the spirit has to drive the being to do what you have to do. And which one of these you think is going to win? The one you feed the most. Now, if you go home in the afternoon and you sit down in front of your worldly television and watch four hours of television and have your wife, if you're the husband, have your wife bring you the meal to your chair where you can eat and you've got your remote control where you don't even have to get up. You've got to watch all of your favorite programs, your football games or whatever. And if all you do is feed yourself the world, which one of these systems, the body or the spirit, do you think is going to win the war? 
the body is going to beat you out. But to come home and say, okay, I'm going to read the Word first. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to spend one hour or two hours with God in His Word. And I'm going to do what He says. And if you'll do that, and if you'll feed the spirit man, the spirit man will get stronger every day. And it will win out. And you can walk in divine health. You won't have to be sick. I mean, you know, God's made you all these promises. You can learn all these promises that's in there. And you can do great and mighty things. And your confession will be somebody walk in and say, let's go do this. And the guy that's sitting right beside you says, oh, I worked hard today and I don't have no energy. I just can't get up and work another minute. But the other one sitting there say, praise God, I'm a Christian. I can do all things through Christ. The Lord is my strength. What do you want me to do? Praise God, I can do anything. And somebody says, wow, what a difference between you two. One of them's led by the Spirit and one of them's led by the flesh. That's the difference. That's how hard it is to contend with the flesh. I mean, this beast is, one, is your worst enemy outside of the devil. In fact, I'm really believing this beast we live in is even a worse enemy than the devil. It really is. But we have some pretty significant enemies in this fight of faith. And one of them is the devil and one of them is our flesh. And if you don't stay with it, that flesh will beat you every time. I mean, it is something else. But Paul said he had to discipline his body to bring it into subjection. Now then, on, the, on this remission and forgiveness stuff, it took me a long time to dig this out and see what I had when I was redeemed. It took me a long time to realize what Christ meant in the words that's used in the Greek when he says, I have remission or I was redeemed versus this forgiveness thing. I didn't understand these things for years of my life. When I finally got them dug out and everything, I found out that a lack of knowledge in the arena of the new birth will hinder my faith. A lack of knowledge. So I have to get this knowledge so I can act on the Word of God by faith so I can see the King do these great and awesome miracles that He does. Now then, one of the things I've realized, and I've talked to a lot of Christians in my life, and this is one of the things that comes across to me. I've learned these from years of experience. Some people believe because they were so bad before they were saved that God will not do anything good for them. I mean, I see somebody, man... You've been a murderer. I mean, you've been in prison. I mean, you had, who knows what you've done. You might have killed 20 people or maybe you were, a, who knows what you were. But you were so bad. Somebody led you to Jesus and you got saved, but you're so afraid of God. You think, oh God, you know, Lord, I know I was such a wicked guy, but Lord, I am such an unworthy sinner. And as long as you see yourself right there, you will never step into the realm of faith because you do not understand what remission means. When you understand what remission means and that your sins are under the blood, it makes no difference what you've done. You could have been Hitler. You could have been anybody. And if you come to Jesus, the blood of Jesus is good enough to remit every sin. And I don't care if you've only, if you've never committed a sin other than just told one little white lie in all your life, that would have sent you to hell. That's the only sin you ever committed. And the guy standing right beside you, he has raped 50 women, killed 20 children, and murdered 50 big men. The guy spent 20 years in prison. He comes to Christ and you come to Christ at the same time. 
What is the difference? None. Both of you are clean and pure and white as... We can't... You talk, tell me that guy is as good as I am? Yeah. No difference. The blood of Jesus... When you realize the remission and what it means to, for your sins to be remitted, that means that when you come to Christ, somebody says, well, all you got to do to get saved is come to Jesus and confess every sin you ever committed in your life. No, we don't say that nowhere. All you got to do to get saved is come to Jesus and confess Jesus with your mouth and believe with your heart. How many of you that had been a wicked sinner for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years before you got saved could have remembered all the bad things you've done? Could you have remembered him? Of course not. Jesus knows you couldn't. Now, if he'd have said, you've got to come to me and, for, and confess every sin you've ever committed or you can't get saved, there couldn't be a single one of us ever got saved. Because we don't know all the things we've done wrong. So when we come to Christ, when he says, I remit your sins, all you do is come and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. He said, good, bam. Washes you in the blood. <coughs> Puts a white robe on you and jerks you out of the kingdom of hell. Translates you into the kingdom of light and said, now you're my son or daughter. Welcome home. And you're clean and pure as you can be. But see, you got to see yourself like that. you got to see yourself as a son of God, clean and pure. If you see yourself, oh, I was that unworthy sinner. I know God must still be mad at me because I've done such bad things. Oh, I mean... I mean, I was so mean and I was so bad. Well, if you see yourself like that, you ain't never going to walk in faith. So if you were the wickedest kid on the block, when Jesus remitted your sins, you've got to say, hey, I'm just as clean as Jesus is. Somebody said, now, wait a minute, you can't be as clean as Jesus. Oh, yes, you are. When you see yourself just like Jesus, hey, you can do something in faith then, can't you, young lady? Yes, you can You sure can. So you have to understand the difference between remission and forgiveness. Now then, this, when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, He remitted every sin that you've ever committed. You don't have to confess them. All you've got to do is believe in Jesus. And when you do, and some people will believe that God has not completely forgiven all of their sins. When you see that like that, that's sin. Because the blood of Jesus is strong enough to forgive anybody and wash away everything. Now, remission means all of your past has been blotted out. Everything. Now then, as a Christian, let me ask you this question. We're going to have to quit here pretty soon. It's already 9 o'clock. But let me ask you a question. How many of you Believe that once you get saved, you are never supposed to sin again. Nobody believes that. Wow. Do you believe that we're supposed to sin after we get saved? Then why do we sin after we get saved? It's because of a lack of knowledge. To quit tonight... I want each one of you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2 and start with verse 21. And I want to show you something that when I got a hold of this, on this fight of faith, we're going to go to this place in 1 Peter 2, right after the book of Hebrews and James. 
1 Peter 2, and I want you to see what the Lord says. Now, let me ask you this question before we read these scriptures. How many of you think it's possible as a Christian for you not to sin? Got some hands on that. Okay, praise God, a few. But see, this tells me how you see yourself. That's the way I saw myself. In fact, I was teaching one night in my church, and a young man never been there before. He came with a young lady, and they were sitting there, and I was teaching on some of these things, and he held his hands up. It was Tuesday night Bible study. He said, sir, are you saying that it's possible for us to not sin? He said, I'm just an unworthy sinner. I sin lots of times every day. Don't you? I said, no, sir. I said, you speak for yourself. If you see yourself as an unworthy sinner, I said, you ain't never going to walk in faith, son. As long as you see yourself as an unworthy sinner, saved by grace, and you're going to sin all day, every day, you ain't never going to walk in the power of God. Because you're spitting in God's face every time you say that. You're telling the king his blood and his son, the price he paid, is not good enough for you. I don't think the king likes that, do you? I wouldn't. If I'd sent my son to die for you and to pay for your price for all your sins so you could go to heaven, and then you accept him and then you turn and tell me that price you sent him to pay wasn't good enough for me. I'd say, well, if it wasn't good enough for you, then go ahead and die and go to hell if you want to. Because, see, that's what we do. This is what we need to start teaching our people, what the Word says. First Peter 2 21. I want you to see that. I was telling Ty today, I used to use verse 24, the last line of verse 24 in a healing school. Many times I've quoted the last line of 1 Peter 2, 24, and one day the Lord told me, Son, start at verse 21. And so I backed up to verse 21. And it says, For even hereunto were you called. Now, who's he talking to? Us. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow. Is that what it said? So he, he did something to leave who an example? You. And you. And you. And me. He left us an example that we should follow. Well, what is the example? Well, he told us in the next line. Look what he says. Who did how much sin? Now, in other words, he left you and me an example that we should follow. He did no sin. They said, but he was God. No, he was a man. He laid down his deity, and he was a man. And he said, if Jesus left you and me an example that we should follow, in him there was no sin, then what is the example for you and me? How much sin are we supposed to have as his children? How much? How much? Okay, I just wondered if y'all's Bible read like mine did, or did I have a foreign one? Mine says we ain't supposed to sin. Did yours read like that? Well, then why do we go around sinning so much? Obviously, we don't know what the Word says, because I didn't either for years. But it says, He left us this example that we should follow, who did no sin. No sin. And then he says, neither was guile found in his mouth. Ooh, no guile in his mouth. Lord, I can't ever speak any guile. Well, his command is for us not to. 
Now, is that going to be a hard one to master? No deceit in your mouth whatsoever? No guile in your mouth? I mean, that's almost impossible. I told, I, I was down in the, on the coast in Texas teaching one time in a church, and there was a contractor out there, and he said, you mean God expects me to do all that? I said, well, that's what he said. He reached down. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting my duct tape out. I'm going to put three wraps around my head, around my mouth. I said, you think that's the only way you can do it? He said, that's the only way I can meet that criteria is duct tape my mouth closed. Well, maybe we need to get us a big roll of duct tape. (laughs) It's almost impossible, isn't it? I mean, you have to learn to watch what you say. I mean, if you're a young person, we've got many young people in here. You know how hard it is when one of your friends comes up and pushes you down or does something or says something, how hard it is for you to control your mouth and not say something bad to them? How hard is it for daddy to do the same thing? Huh? It's difficult. But see, Jesus is the king. And he left us these things we're supposed to live by. So we're not supposed to have any sin. So when we leave and we go out of here today, tonight, and tomorrow, and every day as we go forth, what should be our goal every day? How much sin? None. As sons and daughters of God, our goal should be no sin. Is that what he said? That's what he said. Is it going to take some work to do that? Sure it will. But if Jesus told us to do that and he's the king, who do we need to believe? The king. Absolutely. I mean, do you want to walk in his power? I do. I love walking in his power. Don't you? Wouldn't you love to be able to pray and see God do the great and mighty things that he's capable of doing? I do. I love it. But it doesn't come without a cost. You can't just be that normal Christian. He ain't going to honor his word if you're the normal Christian. This is what he expects. No deceit in your mouth. No guile in your mouth. And then let's go down a little further. It says, who when he was reviled, in verse 23, reviled not again. Now let me tell you, that's difficult for me. I mean, when some guy comes in and reads me the right act, it's so difficult for me to keep my mouth shut. I want to reach up and get him. That's like I heard J. Vernon McGee said one time a long time ago. He said, and I'm sure many of you know J. Vernon McGee. Of course, he'd been dead for many years. But he said, you know, a man come in one time and said, Jay, what am I supposed to do? The Lord says, if that man slaps me, I'm to turn the other cheek. He said, what do I do if he slaps me on the other cheek? He said, I don't know. God didn't tell us what to do there. I guess it's up to you. <laughs> so you know what we want to do when they slap us on the cheek the first time? We want to slap them back, right? Now, we don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way because the flesh, this beast we live in, is wicked. But he says there, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously. How hard is that? It's hard being a Christian. You know it? But look what the results are. After he goes on down to the next verse, verse 24, says, Who his own self 
bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, what does it mean for him to bear your sins? It means exactly what it says. He bore them. And he said, since I bore your sins, we being dead to sin, are we dead to sin? We find out every day. If you are dead to sins, he said, you should live unto righteousness. So if you die to sin, you live unto righteousness. And then what does the last line say, Kathy? By his stripes I am healed. If you meet all the criteria from verse 21 down, then by the stripes of Jesus you're healed. You've got to do everything God says. It's hard. It's hard. Now then, he says when we bury them in baptism, we die. I have come to realize we made one mistake. Everybody I baptize, I don't hold them down long enough to kill them. Is that right, Milton? We just put them down for a minute or a second, and then we bring them right back up. We ought to hold them down until they drowned. And then they would be really dead, and then they would never sin no more. But unfortunately, that's not the way we could do it, is it? We baptize them, and when we baptize them, what are they supposed to die? Do They're supposed to die to the old man. And they're supposed to rise to walk in newness of life. With Christ. Unfortunately, most of us, all of us, don't do that. But all this is involved in learning how to walk this walk of faith. And if you'll do what God says, He will do what He said He will do. Now, then, before we quit tonight, I've got one thing I want to do in closing. The Lord told us, now, I'm not going to intimidate you. But I'm going to ask you in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Many of you in here are married, men and women. Some of you are young, some of you are old. Some of you have been married a few years, some of you have been married many years. But there's probably a many a woman in this place that's not been told in a long time that I love you. Those of you that are married... If you have your mate with you, I would ask you to stand. Would you please stand if you have your mate with you? Honey, you come up here. If your mate is with you, I want you to stand face to face with your mate. I want you to look her in the eye. And as you look your mate in the eye, the Word of God says, Husbands, love your wives. I want you to look your mate in the eye and I want you to tell her how much, look her in the eye and tell her how much you love her. Honey, I love you. I love you with all my heart. And then I want you to kiss her. (laughs) Give her a kiss. Give her a kiss. Don't you dare get away without hugging that girl and giving her a kiss and tell her how much you love her. Because God commanded the men to love their wives. Now, if you wives are not getting that on a regular basis, you need to come tell him every day. And you need to let him do it again. Because that's what God says. And that's what we're going to quit on tonight. Praise the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Is that what the king said? Praise the Lord.
Okay, if you want to be prayed for tonight, if you can't be back tomorrow night or the next night, we will pray for you tonight. But if you can wait, uh, we would ask you to wait till tomorrow night or the next night. And otherwise, uh, you are dismissed. Uh, you can go out there and get CDs, DVDs, or any kind of teaching. They're free. And take as many as you want. Take them, give them to your friends, your relatives, and don't forget to get a copy of Cheryl's CD, Sozo Me Lord, and listen to that. And praise God, we will see you again tomorrow night.